Hey, yo, what's good, what's good, what's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the road podcast presented by DJ City and Beat Source. I'm one of your hosts, DJ Crooked. We got Jamie the Great. Yeah. Big shout out to Never, Never Forever. We got a special guest, a true legend, an icon, um, nine-time Grammy Award winner. 12, ten times now. Ten, 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 ten times. Yeah, one more uh, earlier. Damn, we can hear this. I stay corrected. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Ten-time ten Grammy Award winner, 35 number one hits, 20 top 10 hits. Holds the record uh, for Billboard's most consecutive number of number ones, beating the Beatles. Yeah. Right? Uh, Billboard named him one of the top 10 producers of the decade. Yeah. He's been awarded Billboard Songwriter of the Year six consecutive years in a row. God damn. <laughs> in 2009, he was inducted into the Georgia Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. He's one of the greatest writers and producers of all time. He's written so many timeless anthems that have been the soundtrack to a lot of our memorable moments in all our lives. Yep. And a lot of his music is like almost 20 years old and it's more relevant today than it ever was. Mm -hmm. We're ecstatic to have you here. We'd like to welcome uh, Brian Michael Cox in the building. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What's good, sir? Happy What's to good? be here, man. It's beautiful, man. It's a I great know. vibe. I hopped off the plane, came straight here, came man. Came straight here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, let's, <laughs> we let's get right important. to it, you we, know? We've yeah. been seeing you like a lot in Vegas, yeah. but you've been coming out here all the time with Jermaine back yeah. in, uh, you know, like 2009. Yeah, yep. the During Ocean Boys. Yeah, yeah. The Ocean, Ocean Boys, bro. Yeah, Ocean yeah. Seven. There yeah. was not to play play. I don't yeah, know if yeah. you guys know about that, but I was a, a, a fan of those vlogs. That all of that started here in Las Vegas. Yeah, we at the Palms, Palms, working on Usher's album. Mm -hmm. At the time, the album was Raymond versus Raymond. It ended up being Raymond versus Raymond. Right. We were working on his album, and uh, you know the concept came. Uh, Jermaine had already kind of had the concept in his head, but then we we got here and we started kind of kicking it. The first night we kicked it. Uh, we went to some club. I can't even remember the club we went to, but I, 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 I was taking my, I was taking pictures, a lot of pictures back then. I had a camera. And I was taking mm -hmm. a lot of pictures, and um, and Jonte, who's one of the uh, incredible songwriters, is a legendary right. songwriter. Jonte right. Austin's one of my best friends. He, uh, we were in the middle of making the song, and he was like, "I'll be right back." And Jonte came down. He was fully tucked up. Oh shit! We were like, "Yo, what's going on here?" <laughs> so literally, the first night he kind of caught all, you know caught all of us off guard. You know what I mean? So yeah, we, yeah. we all went out. And it was kind of you know, I mean, we we got to get some tuxedos. You know, so then the next day, <laughs> like the suit and tie not, era, not, yeah. not just any tuxedos. The they went to get Tom, Tom Ford. Yeah, we get Tom Ford. They're like five k a piece. <laughs> yeah, we had to go get a bunch of Tom Ford tuxedos, and for the rest of the trip, that's what we did. We worked early in the day, and then we went upstairs, put our tuxes on. And mm. was out, we was on the town every night, and I think that that's kind of what sparked, you know, I mean, just kind of like, you know, a prelude to what's happening now with us in Vegas. You know what I mean? I kind of feel like Usher saw that and was like, oh, no, I can come to this town and really, yeah. at the right time, at the right time, I could come down here and really, really make it happen. And he, and he had the vision, and he's doing his thing now. Well, it, it's kind of crazy. We, you know, we've had Jermaine, uh, DJ Mars here. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like we've kind of gotten education on, on ATL. You yeah. know, it's like we've, yeah. Learned, yeah. we've gone through these stages of ATL. Yeah. And, you know, when Jermaine was here, I, I wanted to ask about, you know, the writing and production process with you. Of course. But, you know, we've seen you around DJing. You would DJ the Usher after party the, after the, his show. Yeah, yeah. So, and then we'd see you doing the after parties, and then one day we were just like, you know, we're going to ask him one day. And see yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an honorary <laughs> DJ, so we got to ask you know, him, we, come on. Yeah. You know, we got to, like, you know, like, for two years, we're like, yo, man, we, we got to ask him. We got we to gotta figure this shit out. Uh, yeah, all good. You know what I'm saying? Glad but, to be here, brother. But um, finally you're here, but it, it was one of those things where, like, it's, it's funny. It's like, because of Usher's presence, Jermaine, you, 
um, Mars, yeah. you know, all these people come in. It's feeling like ATL is invading yeah. and creating a, a large presence in Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, and it's it's very interesting because we were even talking about, you know, Usher doing the Super Bowl. Yeah. The Super Bowl's in Crazy. Vegas. Crazy. And then, you know, we, we were saying like, is this going to be the ATL Super Bowl halftime show that we didn't get I in hope ATL? So. I think so. You know? I think so, so. Yeah. So I think so. They're putting it together now and, you know, they're working mm-hmm. really hard on it. I know that they're in early stages of it, but they move pretty quickly. And, and Usher's always in the space of rehearsal. Obviously, he's doing a show, so he's always in, you know, in show mode. Yeah. Um, but I think that what we're going to see in the Super Bowl is going to be crazy. You when think it, he's going to be having a hard time cramping everything in nine minutes? Because it's nine minutes. It's believe. nine minutes, but I, I, he's, I mean, he's so ready for this. Yeah. It's crazy. Bro. I would just, um, you know what I mean? Just to keep it a hundred, like, you know, he's so ready for this. Like, he's, you know, the only, thing, the only time we probably saw him, we, he did um, the thing with, Willi, with Black Eyed Peas when they did Super Bowl, and he did mm-hmm. OMG with Will I Am. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was there. It was super brief, you know what I mean? But I feel like Usher has been, this is like 10 years right. overdue. Mm-hmm. I think that he's, I think that he's so ready for this. But his, his live game is so good it's right crazy. now. Right? Yeah. Because especially from the Vegas shows, just coming yeah. out here. It's yeah. insane. It's crazy. So like, when you got the call, did you get the call? Did you get the call? Well, we kind of. Who were you in the text message? Can I keep it real? We kind of, we kind of heard it. I, I kind of knew it was going to happen. Mm. Just, just because throughout the year, like early part of the year, like I said, we've been doing after parties for the concert, yeah, for the for the for the show. So you know, early in the year, you see, you know, I've seen a couple of NFL executives, you know, chiming in, you know, wow. you know uh, just kind of peeping oh, in, really coming. In, you know, we just, you yeah, know, yeah. It, it just, I kind of, I kind of figured in my mind, I just deducted like we're, we're going, that's what we're gunning for, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then for me, the second, the second, really, is the first. My question was, who, who else? Mm. Yeah, I, that, we always question who else. I was here. like, who else? Who else? Like, who else hasn't done it that that should have should have been done it? Yeah, that is in a space now where there's a lot of light on him. You know what I'm saying? A lot, a lot of light on him, and he's like become the face of Las Vegas. He's become yep. the face you know, of like Vegas. Every, yeah, every celebrity that comes to Vegas, you know, they're going to a, a couple of shows, like Adele. Is one of them yeah. they have to go, and then they're like, we got to go to Usher's show. Yeah, yeah. But you're seeing a lot more. Like social media viral moments coming from the Usher show. Yeah. Well, yeah, I you mean, know? way more. You know, it's just it's a different kind of uh, vibe. It's a different kind of music. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, Adele's you know Adele show was crazy yeah, yeah. too. You know what I mean? But I just think that for Usher, there's so much. I mean, there's so much nostalgia there, right? right. Yeah. And then there's a way to make the nostalgia new. Not, and I, not only that, it's, it's a wider audience. It's a wider audience. It's a way wider audience. Than just Adele yeah, than or Adele, even right. Bruno, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Bruno comes down and he does his thing when they were doing the thing with um, Silk Sonic and then he does his thing on his own. Yeah. Um, but it's still very specific. You know what I mean? I think that with Usher, he touches so many people. Yeah. I mean, so many different genres, so many styles of music. Yeah, yeah. Um, Age groups at that. Yeah, and he touches on it in the show. Where if you've y'all seen the show, he touches mm-hmm. on the show. Like, hey, yo, when I start doing this kind of music, yeah, only these people react to this music, and you know what I mean. <laughs> so he he even knows it in itself. Like he he knows that he's a he's an anomaly. I mean, even more so than you know um, than any other artist that I've worked with. You know what I mean? He's a person that really has touched everybody and everything. You know what I mean? Is it is he one of your favorite artists? I mean, is he is he your favorite artist? To he work with? he was the artist I wanted to work with. Okay, mm-hmm. so if if I'm coming up, you know, if, if you could picture me coming up in the mid to late nineties, yeah, um, I was already a fan of Usher just based on where 
where I was in my life and in high school and what that music represented like to make me. Like Make Me Wanna. I'm talking like, before that. Usher's before first that. album. He had an album but, yeah, yeah. but Puff executive <laughs> right, produced. Right. You know what I'm saying? He had a record called Can You Get With It? One of my mm-hmm. favorite producers of all time, Devontae Swing produced. Like, all this time had, I think of you. All yeah, that shit, the yeah. Chucky Thompson's one of my favorite producers. Like mm-hmm. He had all my favorite producers on one album mm-hmm. and we're around the same age. I'm a little older than him but we're around the same age and this music represented a time in my life in high school that it was like you coming of age and you know you're dealing with girls you're dealing with you know what I mean this music that you know his album Monica's first album Brandy's first album right. all these records are records that are time stamped for me as a as a creative because I knew I was going to be a producer back then I always knew I was going to be in this business mm-hmm. so they were like my North Star mm-hmm. like, you know if these kids can make and I'm a kid and I want to do that and I actually do it well I'm going to this is what I want to do right so Usher was already somebody who I always already had like a interesting dynamic with from the very first, you know, uh, time that we got together because he's the artist that I wanted to work with the most. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, okay. So I remember when I, how it even happened was I, I was working with Jagged Edge and then that turned into me, Jagged Edge took these songs to- I mean, you you made- some amazing, bro. Brandon, Brandon Casey, yeah. happy birthday! Their birthday today too. Oh, for real! So happy birthday to no, Brandon. I mean, Brandon you Casey. made anthems, R and B nineties anthems yeah. with Jagged Edge. Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, Promise. You know, Let's Get Married. Yeah, where the uh, party? He can't at. love you. He can't love you. Yeah. I mean, I would almost say they were like Jodeci at that time in the late nineties. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, for us, like when when it came out. So you made, and that was one of the uh, first artists. Like that you worked with yeah. from a major label. Yeah, they actually embraced me in a way that was interesting. I mean, like, you, I mean, you've made like over thirty songs with them. You know, like much, a, more a than ton. that. Yeah, I made so many songs more. with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that we have not yet seen. <laughs> but but I, with Jagged, it was it was interesting because they were Brian and Brandon, who are the twins, and mm-hmm. they're the main, they're the songwriters of the right. group. How I met them was through my manager Chris Hicks, mm-hmm. and what happened was I was new to the company. I was signed to a company called Noontime. I was new to the company and I was in this room just kind of like, you know, shedding, like getting like get, like getting my stuff together. Like, you know, I wasn't quite ready yet as a producer, but I was basically trying to develop a sound. You know what I mean? So I was in the studio every day trying to develop, you know, they're giving me some money to kind of like, you know, you know, pay my bills, do what I do. Right. And I was still in college at the time. So I was going to school. Coming so to, this know, is when you were at Clark Atlanta Clark, yeah, University. CAU, yeah, yeah, so I was at yeah. CAU still. So I was going to school, going to studio, going to school, studio, school, studio. And um, and Brian and, and Brandon were like, yo, we want to work with that kid. You know, and it was like, yo, this you know, this kid is, you know, he's in, he's in here more but what, than- what made you st- what made you stand out to them? I think what it was is that I was there the most. Mm-hmm. Even though I had all these other things I had to do, I had a scholarship. You know what I mean? I, did, I was in the band. I was a piano player in the jazz band. I was in crowd. I had a bunch of things going on. I was able to tend to all these things that was happening at school. Yeah. And still, I was the person that's of the studio <laughs> the most. And I think for them, they were just like, "Yo, this kid is either, you know, he's either a maniac they or saw you know the what I mean? he, he comes to the, the studio. <laughs> yeah, they saw the hunger, right? Yeah, yeah. They were like, you know, so Brian and Brandon were like, "Yo, we want to work with him." Wow. And I remember Chris said to meet up. I said, with them, we met. We did we did like two songs the first day, and then from there we just kind of rolled out, right? What were the first two songs? We know? did a song called Call Me. Mm-hmm. That was the very first song we did. And um, I remember it like that. Um, and then I forgot the other second song. The second song it was the second idea. But Call Me was the idea that got everybody's attention, mm, right. right? 
my, my manager was like, oh, this is special. Right. And then everybody's like, oh, this is special. So then that's what got everybody's attention. My manager moved me from the little room, put me in a bigger room with mm-hmm. them, <laughs> you know, gave me some more equipment. You know, right, it, right. It, it just, you know, it just, whatever happened, that, that was like a transitional moment for me as a producer working with them. Right. With you being in the studio all the time, too, did you kind of know their voice and their range and like their style a little bit more? Like, did you understand them more as like the artists when you well, yeah, I mean, were hearing it like, you know, more and more in the studio? Too? I, I was in Amber with them, though. I, I was I was totally a Jagged Edge fan already. But then when yeah, I got right. in the studio with them and saw how efficient of songwriters that Brian and Brandon were, it actually made me be like, oh, man, mm-hmm. like they were so good and so advanced you know what I mean? Wow. And, and we went not that far off in age. They're a little older than me. But they were so good. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, man, like, I'm going to learn so much from these guys. Because I, I would do something and they would take it and just turn it into something that was like, you know what I mean? It just felt like, mm-hmm. oh, this is amazing. So I, I was able to identify how to make how to make records working with them. You know what wow. I mean? Um, and then they took all these records. We, we made like maybe 20 or 25 records, demos, sure. right? That we were trying to sell. Because we weren't even really in a space where we were going to make an album. I was like, okay. They were still working their first album. Gotta Be had just started blowing up. So they were still in that space going doing promo tours for Gotta Be and this, that, and the third. So we weren't in a space where we were like, oh, we're working to make an album. We were working to sell these songs, mm. right? So we made like maybe 20, 25 songs. And then they In were a like, span of how long though? Like twenty twenty five. Maybe three weeks. Three weeks. Jesus, bro. I mean, these guys were like machines though, and they taught me how to really. Wow. You know what I mean? Maybe three weeks, maybe a month, maybe. Right. So we made these songs. Right. This my manager has copies of these songs, and they say, okay, yo, they are not only signed to Jermaine's label, they're also signed to Jermaine's publishing company. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is so they're like, okay, we're gonna go meet with JD, and play him these songs. We want to sell. So many songs. You know, Escape got a new album coming out. Usher's working on a new album. Wow. And all these other artists working on albums. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's try to throw some of these songs around. Cool. So they go meet with Jermaine, right? I'm like waiting for them to come back and tell me what. The, <laughs> He's at the studio. You know, right? I'm at the studio. Yeah. Wait for them to come back and tell me what happened, whatever. They come back. They say, yo, Brian, hop in the car. So hop in the car with them and we go to this, um, we go to this, um, the showcase. So Jermaine had an artist named Trina, Trina Broussard at the time, and they did a showcase at Chris Tucker at a club at this uh, comedy club at this mall called Rio Mall back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're from Atlanta, from old Atlanta, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Rio Mall it was on Ponce de Leon, like it was it, like so long ago. But Chris Tucker had a club there, and they, they were doing the the showcase there. Mm. He was like, yo, Jermaine wants to meet you. So they're telling me, like, they're running the whole thing down to me on the way. Like, yo, hey, JD wants to meet you. You know, he's saying that this sounds like the album, whatever, whatever, whatever. Cool. So we go to the um, showcase. Um, I meet him briefly. Like, yo, hey, well, pleasure to meet you. I say, oh, yeah, I like, I like what you with the guys. I'm going to call you. Cool. Gave my number. He's supposed to call me. A month later, he calls me. It's like, yo, you ready to finish Jagged Edge album? I was like, yeah. <laughs> So, you, start, you started sessions and it became an album. Yeah. So, Jesus. So at this point, I had no car. I had no nothing. So mm-hmm. basically, my managers had to take me to, to this one studio that was at the house. How old are you at this point? 2021? Uh, this is 1998. 98. Mm-hmm. No, this is 1998. So I am, yeah. I am 20. So 20. Jesus, bro. I'm 20 when this happens. I'm, I'm 19 when I signed the um, noontime, but I'm 20 when this happens. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So, because I, I turned 20, uh, I'm a 20 in 97. Mm-hmm. So, December 97, I turned 20. This happened like maybe March or okay. April of 98. Okay. Damn. So, I'm 20 years old when this happens. We go to, uh, we go to the house. You know, he's working on something at the time. He's showing me around the studio, around the house, whatever. And he's like, yo, man, let's, let's, do, let's do a song. It was a little a bet. So we end up doing Keys to the Range. The first day, the very first day that I meet him, the first day we get in the studio, Keys to the Range is the first song we do. Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Mm. He says, okay, cool. Can you come back tomorrow? Then come back tomorrow. You know what I mean? Whatever. So my girlfriend at the time, she had a car. So, the, <laughs> so, she, so she would let me use her car to go to, because the studio was a college park. So it was yeah. far from where, where, I, where I was living at the time. And... Um, and that's how it happened. Like me and him just started. I started going down it every day, really thinking we're working on Jagged Edge and Jagged Only. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Finish the album, and but in the midst of us finishing up, he's calling me for other things. So then, like he'll he call me for like a random remix. He'll call me for you know a brat song. He called me for you know just random things. He called me for. I didn't realize that he you know just I guess as he needed things, all him call Brian to come right. down. Mm-hmm. And he called me for this one thing that was really random, but it was crazy. It was Mariah. He's like, yo, I want you to right. come down. Can you do something for Mariah? I was like, what? <laughs> You're on the, on some you crazy? <laughs> yeah, just come down. Maybe he wants to meet with yeah, you. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, because when you look at his resume. No, you know, bro. No, no, no. When you look at his resume from, from Jump, mm-hmm. the first year when records, when it's going crazy. The first year is going crazy. First year would look crazy. Yeah. It looks, it's like promise Jagged Edge. <laughs> Let's get married. Yeah. You know, he can't love you and then it's a mariah song how much yeah mariah it's it's Aaliyah, it's tony braxton yeah. it's, it's just like a wow first year because noontime was working on their side so i'm working with noontime i'm doing 112 i'm doing mm. uh uh i'm doing tony braxton i'm doing groups like profile ideal and right just you know you I'm didn't just, say no to nothing to what it sounds like I, I mean at that point what was I going to say no to I was, you were just I was, answering I was, every I just, call I mean these are amazing yeah. artists yeah. yeah like you want to work with these yeah. people yeah so it's like you call me I'm going <laughs> to yeah. say no I'm going to say no to Mariah you're crazy right? no no, so, no I'm just saying like you work with so much people that yeah. it seems like you did not answer you, you you didn't stop answering the phone but especially early on early yeah, on I just, early on, I just couldn't but but the, the, but the work was just coming yeah, because yeah. you were with JD and he was like let's just do it the work was steady right that was a dub that was the icing the JD thing actually was the ice on the cake. Mm-hmm. I was getting a lot of work with Noontime with just new artists. That's how I was oh. doing all of these other mm-hmm. artists because alone, w- without working with Jermaine, I would have worked with Aaliyah, Little Mo, Tony Braxton. That would have happened because right. yeah. that was already happening at Noontime. The, the, the JD thing was just kind of like, it happened out of nowhere and me and him clicked and it was just like, if he calls me, I'm going. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I would do my day like, okay, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to noontime early in the day, especially when I finally got a car. I'm going to noontime early in the day, um, and so I would go to noontime early, like maybe eleven o'clock in the morning, and I would work from eleven to like five or six or whatever. And then I knew that Diane had called my manager, like, hey, yo, Jermaine to be ready at like eight nine o'clock. So, okay, cool. And I would finish what I'm doing at noontime, then go to Jermaine's eight nine o'clock. We would start like ten, work all night. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I sleep over there. Sometimes I hop in the car and drive drive home or whatever. Wow. And then that was the routine. Do whatever day. That was the routine. Yeah. How long did you guys work like that? 
Shit, we're still working like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, you, I don't even watch the videos, Shit, but we're still they, working, they like still that. working yeah. together like nonstop. Like I mean, the difference is now is that we all are one. We're in one building, so hmm. I mean, because well, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm senior vice president of Love Renaissance Records. So that takes up most of my day early on, and then I go to the studio. What What is it about your like? What is it about the chemistry between you and Jermaine that makes you guys work so well together? And then, what is it about Usher when he comes into the picture? Yeah. About this trifecta of, of you guys that just make magic. Make a charm. And, I, and I'm yeah. talking about, like, confessions. You got it bad. Yeah. Uh, like, that kind of magic. Yeah. Where does that come from? Like, can you, can you pinpoint exactly what it is? I can't really pinpoint where it started. I, yeah. I'll just say that, for me, I always understood my role. Mm. Right? I never overstepped my boundaries when it came to my role as co-writing and co-producing with them right because they they had a relationship already they were already linked right mm-hmm. they were already michael and quincy yeah you know what i mean so for me it's like okay you know there was manual who was there on the first on on, on uh, my way manual co-wrote and co-produced a lot of those songs which main on my way right, right. Mm-hmm. when i come into the to the point Emmanuel breaks off, he's doing his own thing. Now, mind you, when I come into play, I'm already signed to another company. I'm already doing mm-hmm. all these other projects, right. right? But I come in and Noontime makes a deal with So So Dev. That's like a non-exclusive deal that brings me in to come to make records with Jermaine, right? Start making records with him. And for me, I, I always felt like, well, because I knew I could get my shit off on my own records. Mm-hmm. So when I would come into this space with JD, right. I'm... I understood my role with him, yeah. right? Because I knew, oh yeah, Nivea and all the other records I'm making on my own, mm-hmm. that's my shit. I know what to do with that. You know what I'm saying? Right. When I'm in this space with Jermaine, especially back then, when I'm in this space with him, we are on this program. And in this program, I have to know my role in regards to dealing with them two early on. Well, wait, yeah. I mean, you're, you're so young though at this time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where did you learn this kind of discipline or awareness to, to work like that in the studio. Well, I had a, I, I've had several mentors throughout the year, but I had a mentor, a really, really important mentor that yeah. when I was in Houston, a guy named Greg Curtis, who was- You're uh, from Houston. I'm from Houston. Yeah. Uh, well, born, you're from, you're born, born in, Miami, in Miami. Born in Miami, but raised in Houston. Houston, yeah. Um, so um, growing up in Houston, I had a mentor by the name of Greg Curtis um, that really, really showed me the game as far as like producing and how to- collaborate with people and where you sit when you're when you're in the room collaborating because he collaborated with a bunch of people on the gospel side and on, and on the secular side he worked with you know Reverend Paul Jones and Yolanda Adams but he also worked with Teddy Riley and Keith Sweat and the Tonys and so all these lessons that he acquired he basically would just dump dump on me all these gems he would always give me gems you know what I mean and these things stuck with me because I knew I wanted to be a producer and I knew that at some point I was going to be in a room with somebody like Jermaine Dupree or somebody like Puff or somebody like I knew that I was going to be in a room with somebody like that I always knew that eventually mm-hmm. so it was like when I'm in those rooms I want to know how to navigate those yeah. rooms you know what I'm saying Yeah, yeah. and so by the time by the time I got to work with Jermaine I, all, I already knew okay I'm in a room with Jermaine Dupree this could be short term or this could be something that could be a lifetime. Right. Depending mm-hmm. on how I 
navigate so you, you, the room. That was going in your head 100%. as you were working. With, wow. 100%. I read but, you, but you know, at, at that age, for a lot of kids, like at that age, yeah. you know, 19, 20, mm-hmm. you know, they're already kind of feeling themselves after yeah. all of this. You know? I just saw, I just, I just, first of all, I've never been that kind of person, number right. one, right? I always knew I was going to be successful and I, I knew that I didn't need to be boisterous about it or be arrogant about it. Like mm-hmm. I knew that I was going to be successful. I, always I mean, felt it's that. crazy the, the confidence that you have. Yeah. And but there's like no arrogance attached no. to it. It's just, no. it's just it's really just hard work. And well, no, it's just like a, it, yeah, it's just an awareness of like, it's look, a, I'm good. I know what, I, and I'm gonna put the work in. I'm gonna put the work yeah. in, and you know, and, and I'm good. Yeah, and, and my humility, I feel like, is what because I I like people. Mm. Yeah, I, I like to have friends. I like to kick it. I like to party. You know what I'm saying? And people who are arrogant and people who don't like to be, if you don't like to be around that person. A lot of times they they be successful, but they be lonely. Yeah, they be alone. They ain't got no homies. They got nobody to call to go kick it with. You know what I'm saying? Like I could yeah. call JD right now if he's in town. Like yo, brother, we gonna we gonna go to someone, someone, someone. So, hey, oh, I'm on my way. Like like yeah. you know, it's I'm a, I'm the per, I'm, I'm a person I really, which is why the the DJing and the partying works so well with me because mm-hmm. it's because I enjoy it. It's not even about like, I mean. We like to make money, yes, but for me, <laughs> it's it's like man, I just want to control the right. party and talk, sh- you know, talk shit and have a good time and take shots and you know talk to everybody and like y'all having a good time? Is everybody having a good time? Mm-hmm. Like that is a thing. Like that's a real thing. Like a life, the life of the party type situation is a it's a thing. You can't be standoffish and be the life of the party. You can't be arrogant and be like thinking you above everybody and be the life of the party. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen you at on, on the record show up when you have to DJ the, the, the vinyl parlor room and, you know, DJ never was DJing or the co-host and then you showed up and you gave him a hug and I was like, yeah, the fuckers know each other. <laughs> and I was like, me, meanwhile, me and Cricket like, how do we get beat Cox into the podcast and this motherfucker <laughs> hugged you know? let, let me tell you something. We, we heard about that hug from Never. Never was like, yo, the motherfucker hugged me, man. Like, no. he said, I closed like, my eyes. I could get him on the podcast. Yeah, he hugged me. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, man, like, because to me, I mean, you've been part of my life musically wise. You've yeah. been the soundtrack of it for so long. I'm like, you just hugging B. Cox like he's <laughs> like you've homie from the Bronx. Like, it's just, but, it's but, I mean, but for me, that's the thing. It's like I'm a people person. Yeah, and I think that that is an advantage that I have. I think it, I think sometimes early on when I was younger, I think people might have used that to take advantage of me a little bit. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But I never changed it, and I just I've I just I just adjusted how I deal with people in general but I'm a people person like I like to touch people and talk to people and you know and have a good time which yeah, is yeah. why I feel like you know like I said the the party element kind of came I, I, I've been DJing for a minute but this ladies of R&B party thing yeah yeah you do you do yeah. an R&B party we do it in, in Atlanta, Atlanta every weekly. Wednesday weekly every Wednesday wow. yeah. and I think that that came about just because I mean you know me and my partner Keith who does the party with us here mm-hmm. um it's just I'm a people I'm a people person so I'm a person that like I will come over and be at your table and we you know and you be like yo B-Cox is really at my table yeah but I'm at your table I'm gonna buy a bottle of tequila we gonna have a good time yeah. I'm gonna get up there and DJ I'm gonna shout you out I'm gonna go I'm gonna go hug the girl that's next to you and try to put you with her you know what I mean like I'm yeah, just man. he's an official <laughs> wingman bro I'm just the guy that just I just really enjoy people and I enjoy talking to people and I learn a lot from people and I take that energy with me when I make music I take the energy with me when I'm DJing mm-hmm. I take that energy with me everywhere I go and it just it's just it's just grown 
ridiculousness, you know, ridiculously, you know what I mean? <laughs> was there an instance early on, like, I don't know, maybe in your childhood or like, in you know, towards your teenager, like, you know, college years mm -hmm. where you actually witnessed like a level of arrogance that was like, you, you saw it and you were like, I never want to be that. Like, I never want to be yeah. an example of that. Yeah. You know? I mean, I saw it early on. Yeah. It's crazy though. I've, and I, and I don't, it, it's really ill. When I was in middle school, right. Uh -huh. There was a, it was a guy, who was a football player, who was like a star quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. And he was the guy. Yeah. He was the guy. And watching the, tra the trajectory of his life going from being like, you, you, when, you, when you make, when you become like yeah. the, the guy too fast. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When, when and, the journey was yeah, not long enough. Yeah, it was you go a, to high yeah, school, yeah. you, you know, you, and, and that's where you peak. I saw a lot of homies, a lot of people that I knew in that space from, you know, who played sports, who played, you know, who just a lot of people in that space who peaked early, who were super like, yeah, I'm going to the NFL. Like, right. they knew it was going and it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And watching like that bubble get busted and your life just gets derailed. Your whole life gets derailed. You, yeah. From that point, you know, you're in your 40s now, you're looking back like, yo, I didn't do nothing because I was so hung up on... On high school years. On this, you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. Um, I never wanted to be like that. I saw it early. I was like, ah, I'm good. And then, luckily for me, when I was in high school, I went to Fort Arts High School. So I went to Fort Arts High School, and all of the kids were... I guess gifted or special in a space where, where when we were going to regular school, we were like the eyeballs out. We were all, we were like the odd ones. Mm -hmm. yeah. You go to foreign arts high school, your confidence gets a little lifted because you're in a space with other kids who are, who are talented, right. who that's what they're there to do. They did do whatever their specific craft is. Mm -hmm. And it's not about like, Who's the popular one? Who's this, that, and the third? Everybody's kind of on the same playing field. You know yeah. what I mean? And we're all special in our own way. And I think that that is what really kind of like gave me, that like put the battery in my back. Right? I mean, you went to high school with Beyonce, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's some yeah. talent going to that school, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I was a senior when she was a freshman. She came in. She came yeah. in as a freshman. I was a senior. I read somewhere that her dad gave you some advice to make you pursue music business. Well, her dad was like instrumental in really giving us a giving me a start. Mm. You know what I mean? Like in real life, I always kind of give them, uh, not kind of, I always give them the, the credit for that. Because, you know, when you're kids and your friends, you know, your kids, I, I was friends with all of them. You know, mm. with Beyonce, Kelly, Latoya, Latavia, like to this day, they're my, I mean, they're my babies. You know, I mean, Latoya Latavia, I mean, I love them. Like, Kelly's my homie. Like, I love everybody to this day. So, when um, when you when your kids and your friends, right? Mm -hmm. And I was older than them, right? So it was always like, oh, you know, they may like one of my homeboys who's you know, like, <laughs> junior senior, you know, what I mean? freshman. You know what I mean? Like, it was always something. You know what I mean? It was always the the kid thing, the teenage thing, right? So when you connect in that space. Um, and then you realize that y'all actually have a talent, you know what I mean? And that's what draws y'all together, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I was aware of things that a lot of the students weren't aware of during their process. They were, you know, they came to the school sign, basically. Ooh. You know, they were already kind of going through getting their deal done and all that when they came to the school. Mm -hmm. So I was aware, I was like one of the only kids in the school that knew that they were signed to Columbia, right? Because mm -hmm. they knew that. They knew what my that I want what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. 
And we would always talk to each other about that, right? So I would always hound them because Kelly and, uh, I'm sorry, Beyonce and Latoya went to my school, right? Mm-hmm. So I would always hound them like, yo, y'all come into practice room. I got another song for y'all. You know? <laughs> just, just random things. And then one day Beyonce called me. It was like, hey, we always talk on the phone, always. Me and the girls, all, you know, back in the day, three-way, call three-way. Yeah, call party them. line. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you call them, they call Yeah, them. yeah. And one day, she called me. was like, yo, I've told my father about you. And they, you know, like, I, I want I want you to do it. I want y'all to do a song for us. I was like, okay, let's go. And then I, I was with a team already. I, I, my first production team I was in. It was me, my, my mentor, Greg Curtis, another guy named Teron Mitchell, who was another mentor for us, and my, mm-hmm. my boy who passed away, my own best friend, Scooby. So we were like a, like a little production team around Houston trying to get our thing off, right. you know. And they came, they, you know, long story short, they came. Matthew came first. Uh, we played him some demos. He was like, yo, I'm, I'm sending them here, you know, in a few days to come, come cut them. A couple of days later, they came and cut, this, cut the demos. And this was like the first, you know, I would say first major session I ever had, that was like a session with a group that was signed, you know, and they were my friends. Right. So it was a whole thing. You know what I mean? It's exciting, man. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. And it was very exciting yeah. to see them like do their thing and like get that, like, get going. It was very inspiring to me. That session is what made me say, okay. Like before it was like, oh yeah, I want to do this. I'm uh, going after like it. The, now you're really close. That's to the reassurance. You know? yeah, it yeah, was like, yeah. okay, I'm this close yeah, to yeah. something like this. Right. This is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Even even if I imagined it was possible before, now it's tangible. Well, it's kind of like you know you're on the right road. You're on the right yeah. path right now because yeah. it's leading to this, and you're like, okay, like at least I know I'm on the right path because yeah. I'm working with them. They're great. They're signed, mm-hmm. and it's going to lead to some. And then the songs came out really, really good. It yeah. was like the first time I heard something back, and was like, oh, this. <laughs> you know, before you you you, you, you know. You, you listen to your own demos, and it's like, ah, oh, it's cool. You know what I mean? Like, you hear a voice. You hear that voice. When you really? hear. You know, Beyonce, Beyonce <laughs> and Kelly singing, you know what I mean? Right. The demo. You're like, oh shit. And I, I'm I like, know it could sound oh, like this that. This sounds yeah. like, wow. Right. I wrote that. You know that. what I mean? <laughs> so so it, uh, it it definitely put the battery on my back and right. said, okay, yo, like I have to figure out how to get to the next phase. Right. And I knew I knew the next phase wasn't in Houston at the time. Mm. I knew it wasn't. I was, I was, I, I realized I was like, I'm not going to make it here. Not, not, in, not in the time span I thought I would make it. I probably would have eventually done something if I kept at it because the Houston scene did end up eventually, yeah, eventually yeah. getting off the ground. Yeah. But at the time, we're talking about 96, you know, 90, 97, you know, early, you know, mid, late 96, early 97. It just was like, this is, I got to go to New York. Yeah, Paul Wall and Mike Charles was not out at that Yeah, I got to go to New York. I got to go to, you know, I got to go to LA. I got to go somewhere. You know what I mean? Um, at the time, ironically, you brought up you brought up Paul. You know, it was interesting at the time. I used to DJ at this spot with my man DJ T. Gray. They had a spot called Just Joking. I I wasn't really supposed to be DJing there, but T. Gray would always let me DJ. I would pull up like, "Yo, I'm going through so the crates." You, you were yeah. DJing early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I've been DJing for a long time. Wow. Um, it was something I've always been passionate about. And other DJs were the ones that kind of like put the battery in my back. So T. Gray was one of the first DJs to put the battery in my back. And would let me come and DJ. Did you bring you your own records or just there, but records? I would just go through his records. Okay. Like, I knew he had all the records. So I would just, you know, while he's DJing, I would just go through and I would pick like maybe 10 or 15 it's joints. It's so crazy to me. Like, every amazing writer, producer, 
comes from a DJ back at some point because yes. they it's it's really about knowing what the crowd what uh, the crowd exactly. reactions and it's just, it's so important to yeah. have that DJ background so important it it's is. definitely the one thing in my toolkit that a lot of people don't know that I have but they know now obviously but they didn't know that I had that right and so when I started DJing they was like oh you just want to follow the DJ trend I'm like yo bro I've been DJing literally since I was like since 1990 <laughs> yeah. like in real life you know what I mean mm-hmm. so it was like you know, I was 12 or something like that when I first started DJing. You know what you I mean? Know, so it's I, like... We hear it in the records now. When I hear yeah. it, when I hear Where the Party At, Jacket yep. Edge, when I hear Nivea, Don't Mess With My Man. Yep. I, I, we hear it. The yep. drums, everything. Yep. It's crazy. Yep. Wow. So, even the BPM, like him choosing what party records to play. Yeah, I mean... Yep. Yeah, That's so it's like a thing where you go through the whole thing. It's like, okay, cool. I would, I would go to Just Joking. I would DJ. And I met Paul during that period. Paul was like doing like... Like uh, he was doing like... Actually, I met Paul before that. I met Paul before that because his manager, Goo, and I knew each other in high school, mm. right? So, but but Paul was like doing promotions for like Cash Money and like doing like, you know what I mean? Street promotions and yeah, shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's so, a street team. <laughs> he didn't so, have the grill yet. Not too. This early, early on, we we mad young, no facial hair. You know what I mean? We, we you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Super skinny, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, and, I, and so you understand that the Houston community is, is interesting, like how connected that era of Houston is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A little old, slim. We all are connected in a real kind of way. You know what I mean? From yeah. back then. Wow. I mean, so the thing is, you went to Atlanta. Yeah. You went to this amazing school at the time, right? Because, I, I mean, I mean, not at the time, but you went to this amazing school. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It was uh, Clark Atlanta University. Yeah. And, I, you know, we had Mars on. Yeah. And Mars went there. Trauma went there. Yeah, I w- actually went to school... During the time DJ Trauma, Cannon. Right. Since. Like, Dr- Shaka Zulu. Shaka, Shaka and Mars are a little older than me, mm-hmm. but I actually went to the school at the same I mean, time. Jack, the, the twins from Jagged Edge. Yeah, Jagged Edge went there. They, they went there. Brian Barber. Yeah, right? Brian Barber went there. I mean, uh, Kenya Barris went there. I actually went to school wow, at the same Kenya, time. Kenya Barris went to CAU. He's one of my favorite directors. Kenya Barris went to CAU. <laughs> what a talent. Like, I mean, that, that, the amount of talent that went oh, during yeah. those years. It's crazy. It's crazy. CAU in the 90s is some special shit. Right. You I was telling that? Mars they need to do like a Netflix series just on. Yeah. That you, just how everything was developed. So, you, yeah. were you, you guys were in the same circles or like or not really? Not no, really, were. but they, we always you know, you we always crossed paths. Right? Those crossed paths. You know what I mean? Those crossed paths. Like I, I met Sense. DJ Sense is one of the affiliates, which is now you know mm-hmm. Generation Now, right? Um, I met Sense uh, through my man Chad. Right, so Chad was like, you know, I met Chad. Chad was somebody who just knew everybody on campus. He was one of the guys. That he, he just knew everybody. He knew all the crews. He knew all the, you know, different, you know, things. I was a band kid, band, piano, music kid, and I don't even remember how I met Chad, but we met and we became instant friends. And then I met since through that. I met Drama because Drama used to have Drama was there too. Yeah, yeah, Drama. Came. Drama used to have long dreads. <laughs> You know what yeah. I mean? He used to have long, long dreads, like all the way down to his like. I can see it. I can right? see it. Right? Like, see and Drama used to wear like dashikis and shit. Like he was on some other shit. Drama was like he was on the, some native tongue shit. Yeah, though. like yeah. he's a DJ. He's a like. It's interesting to see the 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 actual evolution of Drama. You know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah. he d- does it all, and he's great at all of it. You know what I'm saying? But the Drama I met was just a music guy. Like this, I mean, he just, I mean, he was a hip hop. Dashiki wearing, dreadlock having, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Mr. Thanksgiving. I, but, 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 but fire, always, always was a yeah. fire DJ. One of my favorite DJs back mm-hmm. then and still to this day. And, and, and 
we y'all haven't seen him like rock for real. You know, people see him as DJ Drama, the the artist, the CEO. You know, but no, I don't think nobody y'all don't understand how he used to rock. Like he used to rock. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've never seen him. So I, I, I it, it's so interesting to see the maturation of all of us. You know what I'm saying mm-hmm. in that space. Um, and these, these, I met all these. We, we met as kids. We all met on right. campus. You know, we all met on campus, and we, you know, how we crossed paths in that way. Music always was the, the, the was the common denominator. They'd be like, "Yo, we saw you playing playing piano for so and so and so and so." Because I'd be playing piano for the different singers at you know the school talent shows and shit like that. You know, what I mean? so it was just it was just an interesting um, connection. But what happened was early on, like I got I got to Clark in '97, and early on I got signed to Noontime, like. Fast, you know what I'm saying? Really? It was like I got there, and I, how did you get on their radar? Like, bro, I was just persistent and consistent. Wow, you know what I'm saying? Um, I saw a flyer, but you went to Atlanta for that reason. I went to Atlanta for, for that two reason, reasons. Right? I went to okay. Atlanta because I was chasing behind. So I was a woman, bro. It was a woman. Yeah, I was chasing behind. Oh, I was chasing behind the girl that was loving my life at the time. It's always a woman, and uh, and uh, Judith she Franklin. Did. She's on Broadway now. She's on she gave us good records, man. And uh, <laughs> and she's the reason why I came to Atlanta. Like, you know, I mean, wow. I'm going to keep it 100. My, my, my first choice was New York. I wanted to go to New York because mm. my best friend's Robert Glasper. He got accepted to the Man School of Music. And I was like, well, I'm going to go to New York with him. You know what I mean? And, and she was like, yo, I'm, I'm going to Atlanta. And I was like, okay, you're not going without me. You know what I'm saying? I'm going right there. I'm going, you know, and... So, you know, I, I, I always credit her because she was a, a, a an incredible inspiration to me. Yeah. Um, you know, just, I mean, not just, you know, in that, I mean, just in every space. You know what I mean? She was really a person that was like. She was your rock. She was, yeah. She was the person that really, like, encouraged me and pushed me, and, and especially during that period. You know what I mean? So it was her that made me make, make the move. And when I got there, it was like, all right, now I'm here. What do I do? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Now, let me open up the white pages. Start calling studios, start wow. calling boom, 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 whatever. And once I still, because all I, all I need to do is just get in the vicinity of it. If I could smell it, I'm going for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what happened. When you look back and you look at your time in Houston, yeah. and then you look at your time in Atlanta, what do, what do you think it is that those two cities helped to develop in your career? Mm. Well, for, you know? for me, I could tell you, Houston straight up was yeah. the genesis of me even thinking that I could even do it. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, um, it was the genesis of you thinking you can make music, make but also music. you falling in love with music. Falling, the falling music. I've heard stories with your you and your mom. Yeah, my mom, my aunts, like they yeah. surrounded me with music. I mean, you have a quote that you you know you, your mom would buy records instead of buying food yeah. with her paycheck. Yeah, and you would be with her. Yeah, so at that level, the level of importance. <laughs> like yeah, as, even as a kid, yeah. food, seeing uh, your parents put more importance into music, music than food, than food, yeah, is it affects yeah, it's you. amazing. <laughs> yeah, it does, and it's crazy. It was a record store. It's a record store. It's still actually still a record store in Houston. Actually, still open. It's not in the original place, but it's still open. Oh, it's a record store around. called Sound Waves. Wow, it's actually still open. It's crazy. I went to Sound Waves. When and I went you would home. go with her. And she yeah. goes. I can't remember what release day. My mom knew what release day was. You know, like you know, people. If when you're mute, when you're true music fans, mm-hmm. like you know when new release dates are, and right. you know okay, release day back in the day, release days were like uh, uh, Tuesdays. Tuesdays, yeah, <laughs> new music Tuesdays. You know, so I don't, I don't I don't know what the release days were in the early '80s, and mm-hmm. you know I don't know what that, but I know that what every week I know the '90s was yeah. Tuesday, yeah, the, the Tuesdays. '90s and 2000s was two days, yeah. Tuesdays. Yeah. So every week 
my mom would you know we go to the record store and she would buy a minimum of five five albums a minimum you know what i mean we had a really really incredible record vinyl or the cds this is in the 80s early 80s yeah, vinyl 80s vinyl vinyl, yeah. vinyl and then and then it made the tapes like mid 80s was tapes and uh, then cassettes. cds yeah cds yeah. was like like, like 90s. 90s my yeah, mama here. bought i think i think we've got our first cd player like 89 mm-hmm. 90 and then she started buying CDs like 90, 91. Wow, she, she was still vi- buying vinyl in the 80s. Oh, yeah, my yeah. vinyl, vinyl and cassettes. Mom wow. was on it heavy, like, mm-hmm. you know, had the, had the expensive turntable, you know, with the, the hi-fi, you know, the hi-fi stereo. Yeah, with the big speakers and shit. Crazy. We had the huge speakers. It was crazy. You and your mom's relationship. Yeah. How did that flourish with the music? How did it, you know, I mean, it was synonymous. Was it? Yeah, it just, it, just, it just was something that was automatic. It was something that, was, that we just... Had. But it was it was like you connected with your mom even more with music, yeah. right? pretty much. Was yeah. she a singer? Any type of? Artist? My mother was a my mother was a flautist. She played flute. My mom played piano. My mom was a musician for sure. But her dream was to become like a was to play the flute in New York Symphony or Miami Symphony. One of them, one of the things. And, and, but then she got pregnant with me. Yeah. It was like, well, I got to go to work. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, and I, so I that's to... why I feel like that love for music. I have it because mm-hmm. she was just like you know. It's funny you said because I had the same love for music with my mom. Like she, she put me on to everything that I've heard when I was a kid. But because she was in the the church choir, so she wanted to sing and she yeah. wanted to do all these things. So to her, music was one of the most important things for my upbringing. Yeah. So I understand what you're saying. Like, I mean, she didn't. You know, she bought groceries instead of CDs. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm not, I mean, no, we had we we we, we didn't starve. <laughs> no, no, that's what I'm saying. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm saying. She, never, she wasn't starving. I'm just saying my mom was yeah. in that committee. Like. Yeah, my mother was like, we're gonna we're gonna take some money every week. Yeah. yeah. To get some records, that was a part of the process. That's amazing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like oh, okay, you know oh. You know, it's like we, we got enough food. Okay, cool. We got enough yeah, food. Yeah. Okay, I, I don't need to buy extra food. Let's right. go buy some records. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of church, was church really important? Yeah. When you were growing up? Yeah. There's a quote where of you saying like church was missing from R&B right yeah. now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> some, and that all the great R&B artists and singers came from church. Yeah. Pretty as far, much. As far back as, the, as, far back as you could look them. Mm. The 50s, 60s, 70s. Right. 80s, as far back, all of our greats that we consider the greats. You know, Aretha Franklin is the queen of soul. Right. Her dad is Reverend Seal Franklin, you know, one of the founding, you know, uh, members of the Kojic community, you know. Uh, you know, James Cleveland was her teacher, you know. Um, she's the queen of soul. Ray Charles, you know. Church. Church, you know. Mm-hmm. Even Michael Jackson and the Jackson group and, you know, uh, Jehovah Witness, you know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have Brian McKnight group, Seven Day Adventist. You got, you know, it's, it's so many. The list is so long. Everybody at some point, every big artist from Mariah Carey to, you know, Fantasia to Faith Evans to, you know, Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston you know, there's some church somewhere. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like, like whether it's, you know, I mean, it's just some church somewhere you know what I mean like you know you look at I mean even if you look at I'm pretty sure that there's some contemporary Christian somewhere in Taylor Swift's DNA Mm. you know what I mean I'm just saying I wouldn't name her R&B but I'm not saying R&B I want to say just music in general I feel like but R&B specifically because of what I feel like the emotion part is missing but when you were going to church you witnessed like amazing. Oh like, yeah, I mean yeah, amazing pe- vocalists and yeah, performances like, and everything. Yeah, you grow up listening to people like Kim Burrell, who a lot of these young artists. You look Kim Burrell, and you can directly link 
the DNA of Kim Burrell to Jasmine Sullivan, like mm. directly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, you know, or you know, you think about uh, uh, the Clark sisters. You can directly oh. the DNA of the Clark sisters go to Mariah Carey to Coco from SWV to Little Mo to Mila from Seven Hundred Two. Like you could go directly down the list. Faith Evans. You could have like so many down the list from the Clark sisters. The Wine and Commission. You can go directly to Jodeci, directly to Boyz II Men, directly to. You know, all of these fantastic groups, R&B groups that came out in the 90s that were Jagged Edge, like Commission is, you know, we we all took from all of that. Do you, you know make, what I mean? Do you make sure you uh, you take them to church, quote unquote, and every record you write and every record you produce? Like you make it, sure there's a church If element? they can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I I mean, I can't help how I play piano, right? So I'm, I'm just start there. Like, well, where did you start learning music? In church. In church. So I started right. playing piano in church. Right. You know, my grandfather was a, was a minister. My grandmother was, you know, was heavy in the church. And, you know, I, I you know, when I was with my grandparents, I spent a lot of time in church. And the first thing you're going to do, you're going to do what? You're going to learn an instrument, you know? Yeah. And like, what instrument do you want to play? I want to play piano. Mm-hmm. And so my grandmother's like, okay, cool. That's what you're going to do. So it's like, you know, there's a, uh, there's a incredible uh, pianist, keyboardist who's legendary now. His name is Raymond Angry. He's called Ray Angry. Ray Angry is somebody who, when I would go to Miami for the summers, you know, he was the organist at our church. His, his name is Sebastian to me because his dad's name is Ray, so we would call him Sebastian when we were kids. So, like, Ray is now, like, top-notch. You know, he's up here mm-hmm. in that world, and that's somebody who I used to sit by when I was a little kid, sit by the organ and watch him play and be, like, in awe of him playing. You know what I mean? So, it's... You know, it's everywhere. I feel like R&B specifically, it it has been everywhere. And um, that's what's lacking. I feel like, you know, we had to go to church. My mom, even right. even if my mama didn't go to church, she was like, you going. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Your grandmama over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your grandmama coming to get you. Your aunt's coming to get you. Somebody coming to get you. You going to church. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, that element, I think, and also in church, Outside of the, I think when people, when I said it earlier, people were like, oh, everybody like that was attacking me about the religious part of it, right? Mm-hmm. I get it. You know, it don't have to be about that, right? I mean, that's my experience. Mm-hmm. When I speak on church specifically, I'm speaking about the training, the rehearsals, mm-hmm. the choir rehearsals, the having a practice. You know what I mean? Like, I got to practice. Like, if I, if I got to know a song next Sunday, it's a new song to enter in, you know, to the praise and worship. Uh, <laughs> situation and that's for next Sunday I better know that song mm-hmm. if I'm playing it if I'm singing it I better know it I better know my part if I'm singing tenor you know what I mean I better know my part if I'm playing piano or playing organ or playing whatever I better know my part we gotta practice mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's so, a weekly discipline so yeah. weekly discipline and it's connecting with others mm-hmm. so community if right. you're in a band if you're playing in the church band yeah. you know what I mean you have to connect with them you know what I mean cause y'all got to do okay everybody got and most times church ain't you know ain't Sheet music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, not most times. Most people's like, yo, okay, hey, you you, you, you listened to the tape last week? You, you know the chords? Okay, you know, okay, all right, you ready? One, two, <laughs> let's go. You know what I mean? It For you to get to that space where you're that on point, that takes time and rehearsal. And, you know what I mean? Right. And then 
on t- and if you're singing lead, you know, you got to get out there and you got to perform for these people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the first stage for most people. Right. There's a, a development of mastering your craft. You have to that have That comes it. on early from, you know, from a young kid. Whereas like maybe artists now, they're developing as they're going. Yeah. yeah. As they, you know. they And sometimes they don't reach the full development because if you make a hit in the middle of your development, you right. think, okay, well, I got it. Well, now I'm, now I'm just witnessing the development. Which is like, I hate doing that with artists, but I have yeah. to like, I feel like we all have to be like, be cool with it now where I'm like, all right, well, I guess I got to watch this artist develop for the next three to four years and see how they develop. If they develop. If they develop. If they develop. Yeah. The, you know, but I, I said the danger, the danger in that right. is that, okay, three or four years, right? You know, some people you see, they do develop, like, oh, okay, now they are better. Oh, they're getting, they get killing in there. Mm-hmm. Most people, first year, you get a big record. You, you, know, you go viral, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You get a big record and you start making money and you're making money with this big record. You don't think that you got to now, oh, now I got to work on my performance skills. I mean, I got a big record. Now I'm, I'm dropping another record. They, you know, I'm streaming, I'm going crazy, I'm making money. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, so the level of wanting to be great, the level of, of what we talk about when it comes to Usher Mm-hmm. Or we talk about when it comes to like a Beyonce. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like people went to her show and was like amazed, right? And it was amazing, right? But for me, I'm like, she been doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm, I mean, like she's been doing this her entire life. Yeah. And from the time we saw her, she had been developed. Mm-hmm. By the time we saw the No, No, No video, them girls had been through rigorous development already. You know what I mean? So at this point, if that's what's embedded in you, you know what I mean? For me to be the best, I have to practice. I have to work. I have to, you know, it it, it didn't surprise me at all that she had that her show was that incredible. It didn't, it, it didn't because she's the best. And she can say it. Yeah. But look at all the work she put in. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that she's still putting in as Beyonce. The consistency. Yeah. To not just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. The same with Usher. Like, look, like I told you before, he was Super Bowl. He's made that's going to be a breeze for him. He's been he's been doing this since he's with, since he's with, he was a child. Yeah, you know what I mean. In his mind, I want to be the best, so I'm going to rehearse. I'm going to practice. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to make them feel me. These artists don't. Most artists don't have that. In your honest opinion, now will we ever have? Another artist that great as Usher, a, a Beyonce, Beyonce, Usher. You know, we always talk about Michael Jackson and all this. Yeah, yeah but I, I'm saying, like, I really Prince, don't. all them. Yeah, all yeah. of them. But, like, honestly, now, from now on to the next 20 years, do you, do you even, do you think that the new generation that, that will have something like that? I hope so. I'm going to keep it real. They're, but they're, but they're, honestly, in your gut, how do you feel? I feel optimistic. Okay. All right, let, let me tell you why. Okay. Because there are a lot of artists who are, who see, when they see Usher, when they see Beyonce, Mm -hmm. there's some artists that a fire gets inside of them. Like, I want that. How do I get that? A select few. It's not everybody. But there's going to be a select few people that's like, yo, how do I get there? How do I get to a place where I got everybody dressing up in silver and you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, how do I get to a place where you know what I mean? And and, and they are in awe of me. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? Like, there are going to be some artists out there that want people to be in awe of them. Yeah. And they're going to be somebody, somebody's going to ask themselves, how do I get there? I'm, I'm optimistic about this. That somebody's going to be like, yo, I want to get there. You know what I mean? As long as we have Beyonce, as long as we have Usher as an example. Legacy artists. Legacy artists that are still out doing doing it at this level. Right. With, um, these, with these expansive catalogs. Yeah, with the catalogs crazy. Yeah. yeah. And the performance, the, the concerts are crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's going to be somebody to come up like, yo, how can I, how can I do that? You know what I mean? I just, I just don't, I just can't see it not happening. You know what I mean? And looking at the resurgence, the resurgence of like R&B and artists like, you know, October London, who's really going after Marvin Gaye. Wow. Artists like, you know, uh, what's happening with SZA. She's a super, SZA's a star. Right. Like SZA's actually in that, that plane. she's in that, you know, she's, she's in that top tier, you know, Summer Walker is in that top tier. Like yeah. these artists are, you know, they're artists that are in that top tier of their generation. It's like they want it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and all these artists that are coming out, they're, they're, I feel like they've been affected and influenced by so much of your music that you've written and produced yeah. in the 90s and, and in the 2000s. Yeah. So when, when you look at like the future of R&B and writing and, and how you approach it, is it the same that it's always been? Like the writing process and the production process? I'm actually just curious. Do you write for the artist or are you writing? I would rather write for the artist. For the artist. I would rather write for the artist. I'm going to keep it real. I'm in a space where I would rather, like if somebody says like, like we, we, have, we have Money Long's first single, right? Red Card Made For Me. Mm-hmm. And you know, we went in the studio with, with Money and wrote for her. You know what I mean? You know, and out of that comes you know three or four records that you know are going to make our album. They're going to kind of help identify what this next project is. What, was it always like that, or no? I, I mean, yeah, for the most really? part. For the most for part, for the most part, it it it's rarely that it was like me throwing something at the wall and an artist heard a song. I was like, oh, I want that song. Like every situation, like I think about Mary J. Blige. We literally crafted that song for her, or those mm-hmm. songs for her. Right. Um. I think about the records I made on Omarion, the records I made on Marcus Houston, the records I made on Day 26. You guys watched me make Yeah, I was going to say, I saw the Day 26 you know on yeah, the yeah. Making the Man. Yeah. They would bring you in and like, <laughs> yo, we needed three hits or whatever. And they were fighting and shit and you just on the board just yeah. trying to figure out. I'm taking whatever energy, like the energy of the room. Like, let me tell you, the Day 26, the Day 26, Danny Kane process was really an interesting process for me mm-hmm. because initially I was kind of apprehensive about doing Making the Band. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. It did, we, we, well, it was the first one we was doing. Right, uh, right. Danny Decane. Danny Decane. They, they had already got the, the group was already made, and we were working on the album. And Mary's record was out, and it was blowing up. And Puff was like, "Yo, he called my manager, like, yo, I got to get B Cox or whatever.' There. That's the B without you, right? Yeah, which is like the biggest anthem. Yeah, the, for the, yeah it's the biggest R&B <laughs> song of all time on Billboard. So yeah, it's fucking it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, my my manager uh, was like. You know, think about it. You know, sleep well, on what it. Was your, where was your apprehension? Why? Why were you? Um, you didn't want to like record the process. No, like, I just thought that reality TV in that right. space it's was a little low, little little lowbrow. Low yeah, a little corny. I mean, right, at right, this right. point, yeah, flavor, flavor, love, yeah. whatever. And then I stand too coming off of like the band. I was just like, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, no disrespect, to, you know, because I, I, I think that there, a lot, there, was, there was some talented people on the band. I just didn't like the way it was set up. Right, you know, you know what I mean? Because I feel like Ness was fire. I feel like Chopper was fire. But but like the network, but I just didn't drama, right? Yeah, I just yeah. didn't like the 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 circumstances. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he was like, "Yo, just sleep on it, and then you know, think about it. And tell me what you think in a few days." So talked to my mom about it. You know, slept on it, and it was like, you know, it could be a, a good situation from a visibility perspective. At that point. I mean, I was known in my community and amongst my peers, but it wasn't as, I wasn't as, as visible. Right. So this could be a good way for me to get visible, right? For me, I'm like, mm-hmm. if I want to take this opportunity, I'm going to make records. Yeah. So let me look at this as a record-making thing where people can actually see me the making process. these records. Yeah. Cool. So when we did Danny Kane, it was a lot more easier because they were already a group. Mm-hmm. We were just trying to develop the concept we were making songs for them and trying to make develop a concept of what, what the name of the group was going to be and the whole nine or whatever so I was a part of that process when we did day 26 I was a part of the entire process so I was a part of the audition process yeah. me Joe and Michael Bivens and you know uh, Lorianne and you know we were going from city to city right. that was a little rigorous you know what I mean going from city to city trying to pick you know what I mean what ended up happening was the group that I picked ended up being the group, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. All all the guys that got all the guys that got picked day twenty six were all my guys that I wanted to pick. Oh shit! Yeah, so it was like, so then I walk, so I'm walking into it like this is actually my group. Yeah. So it was, it was so easy for, them, for me to make records for them. You know what I mean? There was with one exception. I wanted to. There was one guy that I was fighting for a little bit, but it just would have added too many people to the group. My man Fred, who was a uh, who I thought was incredible. Um, he, he was a young guy from South Florida and he was rugged, you know what I mean? But he could sing, you know what I mean? He had this like nasty tone. I was like, yo, I think, you know, he's actually singing on exclusive. Remember exclusive, I had a bunch of different, yeah. people, it, it was like, it was, it was before we finalized the group. Mm-hmm. So exclusive has all these different voices on there that from guys who didn't make the group. Fred's one of the guys who sang on it. And, um, but, so making Day 26 album was, was like, a joy for me because it was like this is the group that I wanted to make the album on anyway. I mean, you have some yeah. hits on there, bro. Yeah, you know I mean, since you've been gone, it's yeah, yeah. one of the classic. <laughs> so what's interesting is that song, right? Is a song I did that. That's one song that I didn't do for them. That song was on another group that we did. The group was called Brother. It was on a Def Jam, like maybe a year earlier, and, and nothing happened with the record. You know, they didn't. I think they put out a single and it didn't really connect, so the album didn't. Yeah, go anywhere. So, yeah. so when I'm in with Day 26 making songs, I'm like, yo, I got this song. I think it'd be great for them. Shit. You know what I mean? And it was Since You've Been Gone. I was right. like, okay, I'm giving this song to them. And it was like, it fit so perfect. But that's a, that, that's that's the thing. I just, Day 26 was something that I just felt like it was an easy thing for me to do because it was the group that I wanted. Right. I, I loved all the guys. You know what I mean? I thought that they were all fantastic. I remember we were on the, you know, everybody was on the fence about Big Mike at one point because Big Mike, you know, he, he he's bigger than everybody, you know, at the time. That boy lost weight. <laughs> but even before he lost weight, me and Michael Bivens was like, yo, he's a top. He need to be in the group because he, because the what happened was the dance audition is what really made me and Mike say, y'all got to get this dude a shot. Because it was like, yeah. it was like Heavy D. Like, yeah. like I yeah. never seen a big guy move that way and be so committed and know the choreography and really kill it. And I was like, yo, he could sing 
and he's a big guy that could dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, he, we need to get him. He kind of became the face of the group. <laughs> and he did. Yeah, and yeah, he did. Yeah, he yeah. was somebody who I was just like, I always was looking at like Big Mike. He's, you know what I mean? Yeah, he going right. to step out. And he stepped out. And I was like, yo. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a thing where it was like, that was so, it was such an easy thing for me to do. Does that happen often though? Like that you'll write for somebody and um, I don't know, it just won't get used or have, has anyone turned happens away? Happens all the time. <laughs> really? It's has, unfortunate. Have people turned time. away like, you know, some of your writing or production? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, really? We, we get, we get, I mean, no, I mean, everybody don't like everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, you What's know, the be- one record that somebody passed up on and then it became this phenomenon? You gave it to somebody else and it just blew the fuck up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, yo, let's really try for this. And they're like, nah. And then you put it somewhere else, and it just... It that's a good question. Let me think. Um, damn, that's a good one. I can't think of one. Um, where I gave a song to somebody, we gave it to somebody else, and it ended up being a... A hit for somebody hit else. hit for somebody yeah. else. Um, since you've been gone, it's one. Since it's definitely one, but I'm trying to think of another one. Um, maybe I'm just drawing a blank, because I, I, we make so many songs. Um yeah, I can't think of one. We we mm-hmm. we make. I mean, obviously, I mean, I could tell you for this new Usher album, we've written so many songs that you guys are not going to hear. <laughs> yeah, you know, what I mean? <laughs> so many. We we've, we've been writing. We've been writing for this album for seven years. You know what I mean? Really? So we we we've we've written so many songs. You How guys. How many songs hear. do you think? Fifty plus. Oh, definitely, bro. You wrote thirty five in three weeks. You think? Yeah, seven me and Jermaine for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, between me and Jermaine for sure. And you just hold on to that? You just yeah, like, it's just yeah. that, you know, I mean, I tell people, the way I look at it now because it's Usher and we're, and, and we're so specific when we write for him. You know what I mean? It's hard to sell, it's hard to resell an Usher song. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's so, everything is so tailored to him, mm-hmm. so specific. So I was telling people, I was like, hey, I told Keith, who's dude, who's uh, head of A&R at the company at, a, at, at Mega, I told Keith, I was like, yo, the vault is secured. You know what I mean? He yeah. got his vault. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we can't do nothing with them songs, but let him just sit. Like, who we going to give them to? Who going to sing them? Usher with his sound. And, like, I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Because, like, when you when you guys made Confessions uh, 1 and 2, uh, you got a bad burn. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it was, like, he mastered this, like, nice and slow pocket. This, this, you know, yeah, and you guys were like, "Let's continue this." I don't know if this this is what you you and JD were thinking. But no, that's exactly what it was. It, it was no, like it just it was right. Yeah, I mean, because nice and slow was so unique and yeah. it was so amazing. You guys are like, "Yo, this is the perfect pocket where he can kind of rap and sing, yeah. and no one else can kind of do this little like this in between pocket that he did." This is exactly what it, 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 it is. Was. Jermaine Jermaine Emanuel and Usher created nice and slow. Yeah, and then so when I came along. And we did the Mariah thing. He, he, he was featured on the Mariah song, mm-hmm. right? And so I was hoping that Jermaine would call me, like, for the for the, for the the Usher project. Like, I hope he called Because Usher was the only person I really wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was like, yo, I hope he calls me for it, calls me for it. And he called me. He was like, yo, hey, man, you know, we, we starting today. They, they just built a new studio. The first day, the first day, first session was Usher. You know what I mean? So I'm like, bet. I get down to the studio. And... We're talking before I should get there. We're talking concepts. You know, he's like, "Yeah, I want to do." You know, I kind of want to do like another kind of like vibe, like a nice and slow kind of vibe, but right, not right. the same thing. You know, just kind of like the tempo. He was just kind of telling me what he wanted to do. I was like, "Okay, cool." So, you know, we we didn't start really making music immediately. What happened was Usher got there, and then we started talking. 
right? So this is my first time actually having an in-depth conversation with Usher that's not just passing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because in Atlanta, we out, you be out, you see somebody pass, say what's up, talk for about two minutes, three minutes, you know? Yeah. So it's like the first time we actually all were in a room having a conversation that that wasn't that was an in-depth conversation. And I always tell people that the You Got It Bad session is where I learned the most about songwriting and where I learned the most about production, right? So from the songwriting tip, I learned that the song is in a conversation. So before that, right, when I would try to attempt to write a song, I'm kind of just coming from a, you know, imaginative situation, trying to tell a story, or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or, or just try to create something that really probably never happened or could happen but didn't happen or or something from a fantasy. Like you may write love, write about love from a very ambiguous, vague fantasy perspective where you got it bad was literally directly from a direct conversation as something that actually happened that something you know what I mean that it was like real life music it was like the first time I was like okay we need to write about real life right you don't have to really grasp from a fantasy world kind of thing it's like what's real you know what I'm saying well it's like yeah it's like this this kind of like Motown love like yeah, you create this fantasy of yeah. this like super like this imaginary yeah, I love, love you. I need every, you. I never want right, to be without right. you. <laughs> yeah. All that, you know what I mean? Which be without you ended up coming down the line, which is from a, but we wrote be without you from a real space, just to the lyrics. It's not fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's real life shit. Right. But at the time when you know when I started writing songs, it's always like you know, always and forever, and I want to just be mm-hmm. with you for life. And right. there's no meet. There's no. Uh, there was no like hook, no, 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 like meat and potatoes to it. Well, I mean, you know I mean? E- even confessions to take, you know, this like tabloid scandal. That oh, yeah. Happened. Well, by the time you we know, got there, it's, it's, it's but, but by the time we got there, we you have mastered, mastered that. Yeah, you yeah. Mastered yeah. That. By the time we got to confessions, <laughs> yeah. we have mastered the real life conversation. You got a bad was the first one I was yeah, a yeah. part of. And I remember we, we, we were, that, that's how the song came about conversation. And then we made the track. And then so the track that I was making initially had all these things in it, all these different parts, all these different instruments, and just a lot of shit in there, right? <laughs> and usually what I do is I'll start the melody thing, and I'll I'll do that, and then I'll get it to a certain point. And I say, okay, yo, I, I'll go get JD, like JD, man, I got it to a certain point. What you thinking? What you feeling? You know, and then you do, what you, you do, you know, do your thing on it, and then we'll figure out how we finish it. Cool. So I go to grab him. I'm like, yo, man, you know, listen to what I got. Press play on the drum machine. I got all this stuff going on. Like, I got strings and lead lines and all kinds of shit going on. And wind and all kinds of craziness. And he just starts muting everything. <laughs> right? And I'm just like, yo, you mute. In my mind, I'm like, you mute all the good shit. You know, yeah. this, it's supposed to be emotional and this, that, and the third. And it right, swells. Right. He just started muting all kinds of shit. And he left, he left with just, like, there was like a, keyboard part mm-hmm. like a main keyboard part which is like the little nylon guitar thing wind and that's it he said i'm gonna start here i'm like Oof. okay so literally there is like a guitar mm-hmm. a yeah. key part wind kick snare hi-hat and then ushers, and then like a, and ushers beginning vocals yeah. which and, like sets and, the tone for everything and yeah. there's no harmonies in the song mm-hmm. 
The only part that has a harmony is when he does the uh, I really adore you part. I really adore That's the only part where there's harmony in the song. There's no harmony in the song. It's only unison the whole time. Hook is unison. There's no big harmony part. It's really the most simplest or simplistic but complex right. record. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I remember walking, when we finished it, and I remember saying myself like, this is what a hit sounds like. Mm-hmm. So beforehand, you, 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 you think you know and you hope, right? You hope, okay, cool, I'm, you know, I'm making songs. I'm well, you wanted, you wanted to give everything on it. You yeah, like, I, I, I wanted layers. And yeah. you're like, I want to put everything. This is, the, this is the record. But I realized that that's not what makes a hit. Right. <laughs> like, you know, you, you, got, you can have all these beautiful layers and all these different things. You know what I mean? But people have to be able to digest this music. People have to be able to uh, feel it and hear it. You know what I mean? A lot of times, as musicians, we'll get... That's, that's where my ego and arrogance comes in at. Mm as a musician. Mm-hmm. So in the studio, I'm just trying to give give everything. You know what I mean? And it's like... And you're almost kind of like showing off for other musicians to be like, look, look, look what thou- I did, right? A thousand percent. Right. Has nothing to do with the... <laughs> has nothing to do with the audience. Has nothing right. to do... It is by... No, when, when they hear this, right. woo, they go, hear this change, this augmented chord, they go, you know what I mean? Like, it's not... And I realized in that moment, I was like, okay... This is, I've been going, even though I had a few records pop off before that, it was just kind of like, even working with Jagged, like, they even kind of toned me down a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? But I didn't realize that that's what they were doing. We just were kind of vibing, and Mm -hmm. they just took pieces and said, okay, we're going to write to this. You know what I mean? I didn't realize that they were actually toning me down. That session, I got, I watched somebody tone me down, and I was like, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, every track he muted- or you were just, just like, oh, just like that, one, <laughs> that one, that's the one, that's, that's the, the greatest one. melody ever done. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, it, and then it was just like, that's it. Yeah. And the song, you know, y'all know what the song did. Whose was, idea was it to add the guitar? Uh, it was JD's actually. That fucking riff, man. It was JD's. We got Billy Odom in there and he did a bunch of different takes and then I, I picked that, we picked that one. Mm. Actually, it was like, that. that is like two takes. That's like two or three takes together. Damn. And yeah. that all led to Confessions to me, which is like almost as simple as you can get. So by the time we get right. to Confessions, we are just, we're just in a, we're just in a vibe at this point. It's mm-hmm. not, we, at this point, everything I needed to learn, I've, I've learned. So we're, we're just, we're just autopilot. Oof. You know what I mean? Really? So we did a song, we did Burn first. Before really? we did confession, oh, burn. We, we wrote burn first, and burn was just like you know what we normally do. We talk, and you know he's having a conversation with Usher, then me and him having a conversation. I'm thinking that me and him having a conversation that's a new conversation, but it's really an extension of a conversation he's having with Usher. <laughs> so you know what I mean. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, while we're talking about it, you know, I end up going long story short, end up start making the track, you know, coming with the melody, the track. And then um, he comes in there before we put any drums, anything to it. He comes in there and we just start going line for line, like words, like because he he told me the concept, the song. So he said, "Let that shit burn. We should go write it." That's what he said. Those are his words exactly. So we already had a concept. He already had the burn concept in, in his head. You know what I mean? He seems to always have like a an idea, a vision, always. and then he brings it to you guys. Yeah. Right? Well, well, I mean, but the, but the shit happens in conversation, so mm. you don't even know how Jermaine is recording your conversation. 
right? You don't even have any idea, like, as you're talking to him about certain things. Wow. You don't know that he's actually just recording it all internally, just all of it, all of it. And out of that, there might be a phrase that, a phrase that comes out. So, for example, when we did um, Division's album, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we did What's Up, regular, that features Jagged Edge, right? Mm-hmm. How that even came about was during the pandemic, I would get on a, I would DJ, and I started yeah. this concept called Love Zone, right? And the, and the phrase, the actual phrase that I, that I coined for Love Zone was, you know, don't text your ex, text your next, right? That was, that's the actual slogan for Love Zone because I'm playing, I'm playing, you know, ballads all night and I'm doing, you know what I mean? I'm talking shit on the mic, I'm, you know what I mean? <laughs> I got all the girls in the comments going crazy, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, don't text your ex, text your next. So what happened was we were at the studio, this is like maybe six, seven months after, you know, the pandemic. And so I'm still doing Love Zone. I'm, going, I'm, I'm doing lives, I come to the studio, you know, and we were working on something. He was like, yo, B Cox, man, what's that saying you be saying all the time, man? Uh, 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 man don't, don't text your ex, text your next. I was like, yeah, he was like, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna write a song about that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so it was just, so it was just, you, you never know what he's going to yeah, yeah. attach itself to and then say, okay, this is the, this is the song. Yeah, this is the, that, that's that's something that every dude who's brokenhearted, that's what he wants his best friend to tell you. Yeah, yeah man, yeah. don't text your ex, man. Text your next, bro. She's <laughs> in your phone, bro. Yeah, yeah. She's in there. Your, your next is or in your there. Instagram. She's, or Instagram. She's on your phone. Whether she's on the gram or whether she's in your phone, you, she's on the phone somewhere, brother. Your next is there. <laughs> so wait, did Usher come to you and say, look, like we have to talk about this this scandal and no, the tabloid. No, no, no. It wasn't no, a who, scandal. Well, I mean, it was kind of a... No, it was, not really. It was. I'm trying to tell you. It came out. It became a scandal, but it wasn't a scandal when we wrote oh, it. Oh, yeah. Nah. Nah? Nah, Confessions Part 1 was an idea. Whose idea? It was Jermaine. Yeah, so man. what happened was we went to L.A. to write for Usher. We were at Brandon's Way. We were working at um, Babyface's studio. And... We kind of was catching like a writer's block. We couldn't really, we, we couldn't come up with nothing. We was trying to figure it out. But I had to go to the dentist. I was like, man, let me go to the dentist. And, you know, I had to get my teeth pulled. I'm go to the dentist. And then you go do what you got to do. When I come back, we come back, we'll get on top of it, right? So I'm thinking, I never have, I never had any of my teeth pulled. So I'm thinking I'm going to go to the dentist, get my teeth pulled, and come right back to the studio. Nah, man. I, was, <laughs> I just had that done this week, bro. bro. <laughs> I was out for two days. <laughs> I was out. No, I, but, no, I had to get myself together though because yeah. I opened my fat mouth and was like, "I'm coming back to the studio." Right. right. So literally, <laughs> my my boy Marco was with me, and he luckily I brought him with me to the dentist because I was just gonna roll up there by myself, and then I don't know what I was thinking. I never had my teeth pulled. So I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> luckily, he was with me. I go. We go to the dentist. Halfway to the drugstore, my it's like hitting my face like a ton of bricks like the the amount of pain that was going on on this side of my face was crazy but they 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 prescribed Vicodin so when I got to the thing right popped the Vicodin went to the went to the hotel slept for like an hour hour and a half whatever I said wake me up no at all costs wake me up an hour and a half woke me up an hour and a half later then we went to Brandon's way so I had all, like all the bandages in my mouth and I'm taking the Vicodin it was crazy we get there Jermaine meets me there. He's like, yo, I got an idea. So what's the idea? He was like, man, I was driving. I just looked up and I saw the Beverly Center and I'm like, I got the idea. You know what I mean? I was like, so the Beverly Center is what made you. <laughs> it's like, I got the idea. 
and we were talking he was like you know how you know people be out you know back then it wasn't no like social media mm-hmm. you know what I mean we were writing them, writing them songs you know it was cell phones but it wasn't a lot of picture it wasn't no it wasn't no camera phones like that going right, on right, back right. in 2002 you know you know with none of that stuff going on so we you know you could legit like have a family in Atlanta and have like a whole other situation in LA right, right. and yes. probably <laughs> get away with it for a long time uh-huh. you know what I mean because there was nothing that you know unless somebody you know unless somebody you know was in those places at the same time you know what I mean you could mm-hmm. you could get away with it and so he was telling me the whole idea like yeah man you know he got to have a, you know, he he, he, got, he got a lady in L.A., he got this, that, and the third. We're talking, talking, talking. So literally that's how the whole thing came about, right? And so I was like, yo, let's 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 write it. Let's go. You know what I mean? And so it was like every time I was in L.A., I was with my ex-girlfriend. Every time I told you I was working, no, like, because how many times I've been to the studio, anybody been to the studio, somebody calling, you like, and you're really working, though. I'm not saying that that... <laughs> You're like, yo, I got to call you back. I'm working. You know what I mean? But how many times have people used that as an excuse? Especially in the early 2000s because you, like, what you going to do? A FaceTime? No, I ain't no FaceTime. I'm (laughs) I'm working. I got to call you back. You might be literally on a full-blown situation. You know what I mean? And we thought it was very... um, Common? No, no, no. We thought it was very, like, like edgy to uh, write about this mm-hmm. you know yeah, what i mean yeah. it was like this it is was. Yeah. like and i was like he's not gonna sing this like when we finished the demo because I, I sang the demo and i was like yo he's 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 not gonna sing this there's no way he's gonna sing this because it, it's like it's gonna be too it, you know i'm not saying that's what he's into right now i mean it's, but it's quite possible he got something going on out here too i mean it's yeah it's quite possible <laughs> right <laughs> comes in i said i'm gonna play it for you i was like you may not sing it, but I'm gonna play it for you. He said, "Play it, played it. This is, this is all bad. This is Confessions Part One. All mm-hmm. bad. Played it. He was like, "Let's go. I'm singing it right now." Oof. And I was like, "Oh shit, he's gonna sing it." He was saying So he <laughs> goes in, he kills it, he sings it. Right? La didn't like it. La didn't like the first version. All bad. He, I don't think he thought it was a. You know, I think he just thought it was cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He didn't really dig it and we were just like 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 he loved burn like he loved burn burn was like boom i gotta top burn you know so we trying to top burn you know what i mean and he's just like i don't, I don't like all, he didn't really like all bad but me and jermaine really did not want to let this let this concept die it was like yo this is a good concept mm-hmm. i know it's a good concept we can't let it die we can't let it die so we get back to atlanta i come to the studio and jermaine's like I know what we're gonna do. I was like, what? I know I wanna keep this concept alive. I was like, I won't keep it alive. He was like, we're gonna do part two. Let's write part two, right? I was like, cool, let's write part two. And that, that's how the song evolved into Confessions mm. because initially the first song was called All Bad. And, it's, and, and then the hook is like, you know, everything I've been doing is all bad. I got a chick on the side, cribbing and rap, telling too many lies, ain't none good, it's all bad. And I just wanna confess, right? Mm-hmm. That's where the idea of part two came about. It's was like, okay, well, these are my confessions and let's talk the whole thing out. You know what I mean? And Jermaine was like, oh yeah, the song is called Confessions now. I'm like, okay, well shit, I guess it's called Confessions. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And literally, 
I mean, I helped write a little bit of the hook, but literally like the whole idea. I wanna I wanna say I could be wrong. My, my memory could be failing me, but I wanna say that he actually freestyled that whole song. Really? Jermaine actually. I wanna say every like the verses he just was gone. Damn. And I remember being like, yo, dog, are you okay? <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> like, yo, what, hurt you? what is going on? He, he's been what thinking about this going shit for a minute. On, family? You are? <laughs> and then, of course, it came out that it actually was his stories. That's why I was like, okay, mm. well, that's why it was so easy for him to write. You know what I mean? But it was just like, at the time, I was like, bro, what's going on with you? What's happening? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then, of course, Confessions Part 2, we turn that in. It's you know, I mean, undeniable at that point. Saying, so now we have to revisit part one and we never got a chance to revisit it but Usher really wanted to connect the dots so that's how we got the interlude in the video and the right, beginning right. of the video because mm-hmm. Usher wanted he really didn't because the song was called Confessions Part 2 nobody never heard part one mm-hmm. and so he's like okay we have to connect and to think now that the interlude is how he announced the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and what's crazy is I mean the song Almost didn't make it. Like, if yeah. we didn't go back and say, yo, let's do part two, that song might not have made it. Like, my boo didn't make the first run yeah. of Confessions. It came the second run. Like, like, you know, all bad might not have made it, which means that we, we, we wouldn't have had this Super Bowl moment. You know what I mean? Right, the right, fact right. that it happened, everybody hit me like, yo, do you see this? I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I know what's happening. <laughs> is, that, is that, like, your most proudest work and, like, for you, like the work you've done with JD and Usher, um, I'm proud of all my work. You're proud of all of it. Um, I mean, Mary's probably my like most proud moment. Shit, mm, bro. Um, just because the 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 time and what was happening during that time, and when you feel like people are looking at you, um, to fail. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Uh, when you feel like people are looking at you, like, does he still got it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, because it was a it was a wild time. That you know, and I never talk about that time. And I, I mean, I, I won't. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm, I'm in a, such a great space, and I, and I'm a person where I, I just persevered through whatever was happening. I was going through a lot of turmoil during that period in the business. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I felt like people were really trying to. Uh, you know, keep me away from certain things. You yeah. know what I mean? Or keep me away from my like success. Yeah. Um, and I took it personal. You know what I mean? And when I got that call, I just was like, "Yo, I'm gonna put all of the energy that I have into this." And I and and me and Jante did that. You know what I'm saying? And my man JP, who came and did. You know, I, I included JP in on on the bridge. And then Ron Fair came and bring it, brought it all together for all of us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because that that uh, "Be Without You" record, I was in New York DJing at the time. I mean, we didn't really play like. I mean, now it's a little different. Like you hear slow jams. Yeah, yeah. Prime time. Yeah. But like in New York, that was like the, that was the fuck. first time people were playing slow jams in like a prime, like twelve thirty, like a high energy club. Yeah, for us to go and play like a slow jam and be without you in New York, you know. And, and I was at Marquee one night and they played "Be Without You." I was at, yeah. 
yeah, Greenhouse. Yeah. I was like, yo, yeah, they yeah, playing yeah. Be Without You in the club in New yeah. York City? Like yeah. And everybody singing along. Right. That shit really threw me off, too. I was like, yo, this is crazy. That you know was what a mean? big record. Yeah. It was just like, I remember like loving that record, and I was like, man. And then I went out, and I heard it, and I'm like, oh, shit, motherfuckers are playing this prime time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah not, so I feel like that, that reason why that record still resonates, and it's crazy. Cause there's so many things that went along with making that record. So many people who were part of it that really helped it get, you know what I'm saying, the shine that it got. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and it's crazy that Mary doesn't do that song. She doesn't sing that song anymore. And I mean, I, th- there's a reason behind it. And I don't want to get into the reason, mm-hmm. but she doesn't sing that song anymore. And it's crazy to me because it's still, she doesn't even sing the song wait, wait, anymore. Wait, when did she stop singing it? Like, oh, it's been some years now really? since we've since you've seen her sing the song. When she was on tour with D'Angelo, I, I saw her perform it, and I was like, the whole room erupted. It was in here in Vegas. But what year was that? The D'Angelo tour. It was it eighteen or nineteen? Shit, 17? I'm I'm, I'm kind of wondering because when I saw that, it I was like, seven, God damn, it might have been seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah, 17. Like she hasn't, you know, yeah, since yeah. since the, you know, right, right, right. Yeah. Since all of that stuff happened, you uh-huh. she ain't you ain't really seen her sing that song like mm-hmm. that. You know what I'm saying? But so, so I'm saying for some a song that she doesn't sing anymore to still it's be the song. You're right. Is says a lot about what was happening during that period. And Mary's catalog ain't oh, no, you know, ain't nothing to be for, fucked for with. Like, <laughs> yeah, not, not to be <laughs> first catalog is crazy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, I just I, so the sort of say Mary's catalog is crazy. Yeah. Right? And for that song to still be exactly. the song. Yeah. And her, her catalog is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It says a lot about what was happening during that period and what the energy was during that period. Did, did you write all of that? No, 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 Jonte. Jonte Austin. Yo, John, listen, yeah. I, man, Jonte Austin is child prodigy. People oh, yeah. don't know his shit. Like, he's one of the greatest songwriters there's ever been. And R&B, no, no, for real, absolutely. He, he's one of the people. He met Quincy Jones when he was like six or some shit. Wow. Yeah. That dude is a legend in my book. Yeah, he's, he's a guy that's definitely going to go down in the history books. Yeah, but he's so low key, yeah, and that's what I love. Like he'd be in the room, you not, and you probably playing half of the shit he wrote, and nobody knows yeah. he's in that fucking wow. room. Yeah, he got the money though. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> bro, like just my man thing. got the bag for sure. John Tay Austin <laughs> was he in Confessions too? No, no, no. John Tay didn't come on with us oh, until it? we did Mariah. Here I Stand. No, it was Mariah. Mariah's we. Let's take it back. John Tay came on. We did the first song we did. With Jermaine, because me and John have been working together since we, that was 19, he was 16. Okay. Mm. So, like, I did Aaliyah with him, Tony Braxton with him. Come on like, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, me and John T were already writing songs. We did Genuine Stingy. We did Get Gone. My first hit record was with him, Get Gone by Idea. Yeah, because was, I was going to ask you, like, you guys, like, you, you're so brilliant at capturing, like, I don't know, like, uh, creating these anthems and, like, writing for women so well. Yeah. It's well, just you and, and, and Jante. I think because we both come from, well, let me tell you, Jante did have a stepfather in his life. So mm-hmm. not to say that we came from single parents, but we come from a, we, we both come from single an mothers. incredible yeah. tribe of women. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he has a tribe of women that raised him. I have a tribe of women that raised, that raised me. And I think that we have an understanding of what like, you know, women want to talk about. Yeah, like these difficult conversations, like the Mary J. B. Without you, mm. I think Monica, you should have known better. Well, that that's Harold Lilly. It's me and Harold Lilly and and and, uh, and Jermaine. Harold and Lilly Jermaine, is somebody yeah. who's phenom- phenomenal songwriter. Harold Lilly wrote, uh, he wrote, "You don't know my name," for Alicia Keys. He mm-hmm. wrote, um, uh, uh, "Unpredictable" for Jamie Foxx. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, he's he's an incredible, incredible yeah. songwriter, and he's somebody who's also the same thing. Tribal women, yeah, you know, even like just Tony Braxton, just be a man about yeah, it. That's all these, yeah, that's Johnny. Yeah, so yeah. John T. Austin has "Be Without You" and "We Belong Together." We belong, yeah, yeah, like two of the biggest R and B songs of all time. Yeah, and then we that, did we did "Shake It Off." We did "Shake It Off." Shake it off. And then "Shake It Off" ended up being sampled by Bryson Tiller. Bryson, yeah, Bryson Tiller and Bryson just sold ten million singles or don't. Talk, talk about the wait, gift wait, that keeps wait. on giving, <laughs> bro. No, but like when when they sample that, do you, uh, you know, are they are they, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they but better. I'm saying, are are they um, calling you? Are, no, the, I, like, I had they, to clear they, it, and then and then you know we we get our credit, we get our we get our publishing, and because that was like a SoundCloud album, right? Yeah, no, yeah, but it, but but when it, when it got picked up, see if the SoundCloud joint. They only it was only the first verse in a in a, in a hook. It didn't get to the second verse. When crying to be the same. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. So then when they when they I remember I, it was a it was like a mad dash get it cleared because it, the song started. No, it picked up. Yeah, yeah. And it was a mad dash get it cleared. And Mariah kind of was like, all right, if you want it, it's gonna you know it's gonna be this. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> then my publisher called me. It was like Mariah said that. I was like, hey, I'm going with Mariah said. Yeah, Mariah. And then so. You know, it kind of worked out for us to, you know, we we were able to share credit and we were able to make a really, you know, good yeah, yeah. amount of money. And yeah. Yeah, man. now the, the record's $10 million. And the DNA comes from, you know, yeah. shake it off. Kalani sample come over twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She did it with the, the Can I record yep. and Personal. Yep, twice. Like twice. Like the same song. Yeah, the same song. Sure. She sampled it yeah. twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So already, when you when you get that, are you kind of like, oh yeah, like Kelani, we'll prove it. I pretty much clear most samples. Yeah, yeah. You know, the only sample, I think the only sample that I can say that I did not clear, that I actually said no to, was um what's the boy that's going on that's on trial now? YNW Melly. Oh, uh Young Club? Oh, no, 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 no. Y- 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 Melly. Yeah, he took Chris Brown's say goodbye. Ooh. And it was like uh, it's, it's always the right time to sling that iron or something like that. It was a whole song about killing people. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh. uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my publisher sent it to me. It was like, you know, we could take seventy five percent of the record. And I was like, and I'm thinking to myself like, I'm looking. I'm, I went to research a kid. And I'm like, oh, this kid's popular. You know what I mean? But, when and, but I'm like, <laughs> you know, I got you know, I got a son, and you know, my you know, I'm just right, like. Right, right. Stay away. You know, so I was like, nah, I, we pass. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And um, that, that's the only thing that I ever, like, passed on. Really? Yeah. I would have thought someone would have wanted to, like, uh, like a ton of rappers would have wanted to sample confessions. Just, just to yeah. be I'm really surprised. I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm, we haven't got in, not, not many requests for, for, for uh, confessions. I, really? I don't think I've ever gotten a, re- a request for confessions. I mean, bro, you, ha- you can't. But it's hard, though, because it's such hard. a big song. That's such a hard it's beat a now. It's a classic, though. It's like you cannot, yeah. like, it's like trying to sample Billie Jean. Like, no. Yeah. Like, it's, you're not touching the, that staple. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten any requests yeah. for I've got, I'm going to tell you what I get a lot of requests for. I get a lot of requests for He Can't Love You. People love to sing really? and rap on top of that song. Really? Like, for real. That's that's a really popular one. I was I was kind of wondering, there's a year where you were kind of making a lot of up-tempo jams, and I was like, I was like, Brian must have been going out. Yeah. Uh, this year. Yeah. I think it was like 2004. You yeah. made Nivea, Don't Mess With My Man. Mm. And then you made Where the Party At. Yeah. And I was kind of like, he must have been going out he and just wanting to be yeah. like, I want to hear my shit in, yeah. in the clubs. I was going out. A, I mean, I, I mean, I go out a lot in this. Yeah. <laughs> but 
during that period it was like a surge right yeah. it was a surge in me going out and really just kind of seeing and also dwelling in whatever that success felt like you know mm. it, 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 those were the years where it was like okay I mean I've, I've been making money but at 2003, 2004, 2005, it was like, okay, now I'm really making some money and I'm really moving around and I'm really, you know what I mean, outside. And it was like, okay, the music was reflecting what was happening. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, it was 2001. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, between, so between 2001 and 2005, it was a lot going on. He was outside. On. It was a lot going on. He was going on. out. So Mary J. Blige <laughs> called him and said, get your ass yeah, back. Yeah, it was a lot going on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Party at. Yeah, with the party at. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of want to know where that, that's such an iconic beat, like, Dropping Guitar. it from the one. So, so the funny thing about that particular song mm-hmm. is that there's an original version of that song, right? That I did with the Dog Pound. We took, oh, shit. we took New York, New York. The don't, first yo, version. Don't tell, you don't tell these Cali motherfuckers that, man. Now listen, the first, <laughs> the first version of this song was we I replayed New York, New York, and Dog Pound is rapping on the original version of Where the Party At. It's slower. It's, I mean, it's, 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 I sample New York, New York. Oh, shit. And the, the song was written to that beat, right? So I remember we did the song. I came back, played it for Jermaine. Like, yo, JD, I just did the song with Jagged and Dog Pound, right? He's like, you're not going to play New York radio. So he played it for him. He was like, yeah, man, this is, this is, this is too, it's too, it's too gangster. It's too hard. You know what I mean? It was like, y'all got to find a way to lighten this up. It's too, it's too hard, basically. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of said, well, we just scrapped the idea. Boom. We started working on other ideas, whatever. So this we were working on Jagged Little Thrill at the time. So I'm going to studio work with Jermaine on some some other ideas, and we come up with the track, that track. Me and Jermaine come up with that track. You know, at the time, I would say, uh, what was that at the time? That was like... It was like 2004, 2005? No, no, no. It was before that. Like 2000, 2001. I was like Fiesta was out. Like it was oh, like okay. right, 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 right. whatever that vibe was that, with like, the guitars, Spanish the Latin guitars. guitars. Yeah. yeah. Maria Maria. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All them songs were out around that time. So we kind of making tracks and we made one track that was in that like lane. You know right. what I mean? Little guitarish kind of vibe, whatever. Okay, whatever. It was okay. This track, this track hard. Cool. We'll put it to the side. So Brian and Brandon get to the studio. So yo, we got, we got a few ideas. We played a few the track ideas we had and we played that one. Brandon Brandon was like, oh no, we want that one. Okay, cool. So pull it up and then they just go on, the, they just, you know, I think Brian went and went in first and they just, he started singing the hook to where the party at. So I was like, mm. that's one thing that Brandon and Brandon are good for. They'll, they will recycle a song. Like if, if somebody, mm-hmm. if there's a song that we did that they didn't use, mm-hmm. they will find a place for it. Okay. So basically just basically took the same exact song that we did on top of New York and just sang it on top of this beat. Oh, wow. Faster, keys a little higher, this, that, and the third. But it gave it, the, the, the track being faster, gave it a different kind of energy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, Jermaine was like, oh, shit, we're going to put Nelly on this song. Cause yeah. it, like, it felt like, right, like hey, a, yeah. what? It just felt like. It felt like spring break. You know, it just yeah. felt crazy. It was like, oh, <laughs> like, he was like, yo, we put Nelly on this shit. And it, it was determined we're going to get Nelly on this thing. And you know, I mean, they they paid Nelly a lot of money, but mm. it was worth it. Yeah, this yeah, is uh, Pimp Juice. Yeah, hot in here. No, no, he was he was huge. Nelly was huge. Yeah. Like it's crazy. You know what I'm saying? We, you know, we paid him a lot of money, but it was worth it. And you know, it to this day. I mean, we got paid. We got we got that money back ten times. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But that's a primetime record now. Yeah, it just can't. It's like all of this shit that you you guys made are primetime records right now. They they still coming like they're like. 
in the last two, three years, you know, since the pandemic, yeah. this whole catalog you guys created in the 2000s is the most relevant catalog right now. It's really interesting. Clubs. It's really like, interesting. You, would you have ever thought that? Um, I never even thought about it. I mean, I think that, I think that there's a level of like you hope you make records that last, like right? Time, yeah, you know, you go in the studio, say, "Yo, you know, I mean, I'll, you know, I'm not looking to make no fly by night shit. I'm looking to, <laughs> I want to, you know, I want to be talked about amongst the greats and talked about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that. I think that the key was really interesting about it is that we're still like here making records. You know, mm-hmm. we had a number one record with Arvin Pressure last year. Mm-hmm. We had, you know what I mean? Like, I think- I, love, really, the, I love that Pressure record with yeah, Arvin Lennox. Yeah, it's I think amazing. that's the, the interesting thing about it is that- And it's so different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds so different from everything you guys have made. Yeah, you know? I, I think that's the interesting thing. I think that for me, it's like a lot of people that came up when we, we, we were doing records and competing and doing what we was doing, um, it's not many of us- No. That are still doing it from that time. Yeah, even um, even like during the pandemic, you know that Usher song, the "Don't Waste My Time." I mean, was, no more records. It was a platinum single. That was that really set the tone for that that yeah. year, though. Because yeah. I I always say that R&B came back in 2020, mm-hmm. and those are one of the records that set the tone. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, do you feel that way too? I feel like it, I never looked at it that way, but possibly because I think about it, we were doing okay. So the Ladies of R&B party. Mm-hmm. We've been doing that party for seven years. It was called R&B Wednesdays initially. But, um, so I feel like there was already a resurgence happening in the clubs. There was. Mm-hmm. Right? I was doing a party called The Groove that I still do in Atlanta. They, they do like every couple months, for mm-hmm. once a monthly. I was going to New York and DJing, like random parties with MOS and Mel the bars, you know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. you know, just random, you know, you know. So I think that it's been a slow. I feel like clubs kind of already were like the right clubs yeah, are kind of yeah, yeah. gravitating to the the cool clubs, not the mainstream section hookah yeah. clubs. I'm talking about like that. You know, I'm the talking about one. the people where people dance with people. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Those clubs were already kind of. Shift, shifting back to that you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, and I think everything always starts from the underground and then becomes like mainstream again and I feel like R&B probably was underground the kind of R&B we talking about went underground like 2013 you know what I mean the, the, you know and then it just kind of stayed underground until you know we started doing our party in 2017 and it was still like we were like one of the only parties that were doing it for a while in Atlanta, right? But then what happened was people started seeing us, you know, online and was coming. People was coming, were seeing us on Instagram and mm-hmm. they saw that the first party was Usher and Carrie Hilson and me, you know, <laughs> just, and it was like, it, it, even though it wasn't a whole bunch of people there, it was just us there. Usher, Carrie Hilson, Jermaine, Vito, all these artists who, all the local artists came to rock with us. Uh, the, the club was like maybe 50 people in there, but it was 50 of the right people. And wow. we got pictures, pictures go viral. Everybody's coming, you know. We have, you know, you know, big up the rugs. Rugs owned the spot at the time. Rugs, you know, got his connects. Got to, you know, got the right people in there. And just to, you know, a month later, two months later, we were like the hottest part in, in in the city. But it's the music too. The energy was like, you know, you're not gonna get in a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> the energy of the music is, you know, is is not it's not dark energy. It's 
you know, it's it's hot, it's light energy. Yeah, it was like it's almost like it it brings back sing along, like it's a karaoke vibe. Mm-hmm. It's like a backyard barbecue. That energy that it, it brings back. It's it's also like the perfect time, right? Yep. Because it, I feel like it was the end of like the complete end of like an EDM era. Yeah. That took over. EDM took over, man. How how did you feel about that era, the EDM era? Because I know you was coming to Vegas, so you were seeing. Yeah, I was seeing it happen. You were seeing grow and blow up and it explode. Blew crazy. But then it was just like all like I mean even Usher was making EDM. Everybody was. Yeah, everyone, everybody Usher. did. Kelly Rowland. Everybody. Everyone. Everybody had their big like huge like, and had huge moments. Mm-hmm. Like Usher had a huge moment with EDM. Right. You know what I mean? Rihanna. Me, yeah. Rihanna. Leo, everyone. Rihanna. Yeah. Everybody had huge moments. These EDM DJs were getting these popular black artists, and they were going over there, and they were they were making probably making more money they ever made. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just keep it real, like. You know, now you're doing, you know, festival. Freaking DJ got us falling in love again for you know, right. hundred thousand. You know, people that know, you know what I mean. Did were you, were you initially fucking with it though? Or? No, no. Um, I didn't. Here's what I would, here's what I didn't fuck with. It's not that I didn't fuck with EDM, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't fuck with the idea that we had to conform, mm. right? I felt like there was room for everything, and I, you know. I didn't like the fact that the record labels were saying, "Okay, Cox, you now, now you got to make EDM records." Where's the EDM records? Like, I was wondering if, they, like, bro, I don't yeah. make EDM records. Like, let let Getta and let you know the guys who Cal- make them, Calvin Harris, yeah, right? let the, who make them, who make them well. Let them like I, I do. This is what I do. Right. So you mean to tell me what I do is not valuable? They wanted you to do like a Will I Am kind of thing, right? Yeah. Well, they what, wanted what, you to make these records. What it was signaling was that the rec- the music that we were making was dead, and I mm. did not, I did not believe that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I didn't believe it. I felt like you guys are now just taking money away from marketing our shit and telling us that it's dead. You know what I'm saying? But I'm outside. I'm outside, and I see our people don't listen to that. You know what I mean? And yeah. now we don't have a choice. Now when I go to the other room, we don't have a choice to, to, to you know, they, now now do you see the onset, or you see the rise of trap going crazy. I'm talking right. about the real trap. Now, not like, EDM trap. I'm talking no, no, about no, no. right. You know what I mean? Because there's no there's no alternative now. Because all they're doing is they're putting money into rap or EDM, mm-hmm. right? So R and B there's a there's a vacuum. You know what I mean? It's a vacuum. You know of R and B, and y'all telling me that this music is not relevant anymore. And I'm telling you, like, how can it not be relevant when we just made y'all this amount of money in 2009? It can't not be relevant. You know, if you guys are still making money off my masters, mm-hmm. what the hell is going on? Let's invest in these artists. Let's make these artists the way y'all was making them before. But it just, it just, I, 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 so it wasn't that I had a, um, that was against EDM. I enjoyed, I enjoyed EDM. I enjoyed coming out here, right. having a good time. You know what I'm saying? And I actually got to know a lot of DJs and I got to meet a lot of DJs and producers during that era that I'm actually still very, very cool with to this day. Um, and I don't, I don't like, I think that everything has its place. Everything has a place. And I just didn't like the fact that they were like, we don't have a place anymore. It, w- it was an odd time though, too, because like hip hop and, uh, R&B, like the lines were getting blurred Yeah, because a lot of hip hop artists started becoming R&B artists yeah. with auto tune and all of this. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, and then like a lot of hip hop, I feel like a lot of R&B started getting a little, like like I had that hip hop energy. 
Well, yeah, because they were trying to compete. Right. You know, but it's like, and then Drake, you know. Yeah, Drake kind of. Drake just really just changed everything. Yeah, he mm-hmm. brought it You know what I mean? Drake changed everything. You know, I think that, I think that you get a lot of what that era of R&B, what we call like SoundCloud R&B and all that stuff, like, I think that Drake is the genesis of that. Was that kind of a difficult time for you, like in the industry? Because you, like the industry, the labels wanted certain things and like, and you were seeing something else happening. And then, you know. I felt like, it wasn't, I just felt like, first of all, I felt like everybody goes through a drought. So I kind of mm-hmm. felt like, okay, this is just, let me just navigate through this. You know, luckily for me, I, you know, I, I mean, you still were working like Justin Bieber. I was working on everybody. Yeah, everybody. Like I, tell you, I was still working on everybody. You were still working yeah, like so, steadily. Yeah. So it was. But yeah, it was. I was just. Let, I was at. I was in a space where let me just let me let me sit back and see what's what. Let me. How do I navigate this? And as artists, you know, are coming up. You know what I mean? I'm like, let me work with all the new artists. You know, um, and. That was really my thing. Like, yo, okay, even if I just get an album cut on a new artist, let me work with our new artist. Let me try to connect mm-hmm. the dots. What happened was the label tried to ice me out because I was in song deals, right? And mm-hmm. if you're in song deals that are dated, predated 2008, you know, those budgets are way different, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, like, I had a song that at Atlantic, and I was on ice at Atlantic for, like, maybe two years, right? I couldn't get nothing going over there. And I was like, I finally, finally... Because Mike Karen is somebody who I knew were coming up, so we have a different kind of relationship when it, you know when it comes to certain things. Yeah, I actually asked him. I was like, "Yo, like, why am I not getting nothing over here?" You know what I mean? And he was just like, "Your song deal's too expensive." Mm. He he's the one that told me that the that the industry. He was the one that actually told me how the industry was changing. He was like, "Your song deal, you know, nobody's paying fifty thousand dollars for a song, right. Brian." Like the budget, the budgets went drastically down. He was like, "You have to, right? You know, we we can't afford you." And I'm like, "Well, there's got to be a way for us to adjust this." Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If you if you feel like you already paid me, um, you know, a, a, a certain amount of money, you know, up front, there's got to be a way that we can adjust this to where I don't need to worry about the back end. Let's just taper off the front end. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I don't. I need to have some. I need to have some motion. I need to be on some of these projects. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Would you be willing to do that?" I was like, "Yeah." And he was just like, "I never asked you because I never. I didn't, I didn't think that you know most producers that I've tried to talk to and adjust their situation. Most you know vet producers are like, I ain't doing that. You know, you, you the contract's fifty thousand. You know, and Perfect. we just don't call them anymore. Yeah, yeah. Basically, and I'm like, nah, you call me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> let's make let's make the adjustments. You know what I mean? And then then that then that gave me the idea. Me and my manager went and basically redid most of our well, most of my songs I was still in. We just went and redid them. Say, yo, listen, hey, I know you guys aren't calling us because you think that I'm going to charge this amount of money. Let's figure out how we can move about press reset right. and look at what we have already spent and what I owe as far as from a song perspective, and let's make it make sense. Mm. And then that's how I was able to kind of navigate and work with some of these newer artists and work with new artists because they're like we we can't, no, we can't call Brian for so and so and so and so their budget's only $60,000 right you know what I mean and it's like you know that one song's gonna take up half of their budget mm-hmm. you know we're not even sure if that's you know I could say it's gonna be the single but it's like you know you just don't know and 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 the way people were consuming music was changing so drastically yeah 
So you're just trying to follow that. You're trying, it was just so much going on. So I just was like, man, I just let me do what I can to navigate. Goes back to me being a people person. I, I built so many great relationships just being cool and being, you know, being Brian. You know what I mean? And even now, it's even more non-existent, like a budget for like yeah. a lot of artists, especially you, new artists. Do you do you listen to like K-pop at all, or no? I do actually. Do? I, I, what happened was I ended up going over there. I ended up, <laughs> I ended up making K-pop. Yeah, started making K-pop. Started making J-pop. Well, when, when did you start making K-pop? Like uh, 2014. Yeah, I went over there and I worked with uh, a couple of artists. Um, you know, 2014, 2015, because I, I did a deal with a company called Avex over there. Yeah. And then they brought they brought us over there and because I, their sound is basically R&B, R&B nostalgia, yeah, 100%. It, but all the way even back to like eighties, no, like they, guy, they're going hard with yeah, it. 80s, yeah, eighties, nineties, and two thousands. Yeah, and uh, I would just love. Yeah, I was. Just, I didn't see any of your credits though for K-pop. Yeah. So what happened was, yeah, I don't think it was called K-pop at the time. Yeah, I don't think you know it was just working, working with a Korean group or working with a Korean artist. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of Japanese artists. There was an artist, the group out of the Gospelers that I worked with. Uh, they, you know, they sold a bunch of records, and I, I made a bunch of songs on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, K-pop right now, like when I'm listening to a lot of the newer records that are like crossing over. Yeah, it's so now '90s and 2000s nostalgia. Oh yeah. But I would, I don't know, man. Like low key, I would love to hear. No, but we're a open B, to it. I'm, I'm open to it, and I, I, I'm sort of having like, some dialogue about it recently. I'm telling you, like, try to connect with like new jeans. Yeah, right new jeans. <laughs> and, yeah, nah, I get it. I mean, and for me, yeah. it's like I'm I'm open to anything. Yeah, in regards to that, in regards to making music, man, I just you know I I want to be I want to be everywhere. The next five years of my life, I'm in a space where like I want to do as much as I can, right? I want to continue to do as much as I can, accomplish what I can accomplish in the next five years of my life because I want to start looking at my life through different lenses. Mm. I've been doing this all my life. I've been doing this since I was a kid. Right. So, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not saying that I want to quit. I don't, ever, I don't think that it's possible for me to quit. But I want to start looking through life, looking at life through different lenses. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, I've never married. I never, you know, there's all kinds of things, you know, that I've never done in my personal life. Interesting. That yeah. I like to experience. Right. You know what I mean? No, I feel the same way. Like, I've been a DJ for so long. Mm. And then there's a part of me that's like, well, what? There's so many other things in my head that I want to do. But it's like, I still hold on to this identity of being a DJ or doing music or being a part of something. And And it's hard, though, because it's it's so good. And it's all you know. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's such a good thing. And you're so good at it. It's so good. It's like, I know, I know this. I know that I know how good I am at this. I know this part of my whole situation. Um, but I do realize like, yo, hey man, you know, I have a, I have a 12 year old, you know, he'll be 13 next month and it's yeah. like, okay, cool. Like I, you know, I want to continue to raise him and watch him grow up, you right. know, you know, it's just, just a lot of things personally that I'm like, okay, I'm like, I, right, I've accomplished a lot. I do want to do some, some more things like really dense, like get it as much done in the next five years. So mm-hmm. I could be kind of like loose with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll be 50 in five years. So I can kind of be loose with it when, in my 50s and just kind of like do, you know, do it as it comes. Amazing. Like, I, I'm, man, I, I'm just saying, like, we're excited to hear it. Yeah, I'm fine. Like, in the next five years. <laughs> I can't wait for the new Usher album. I can't wait to hear this. For the yeah. new Usher album, what type of space are you guys in? Like, confession space or is he more in the um, I stand space? Ah, nah. I think that he's. That's a good question. I think that the it's it's confessions energy. Yeah. As far as like our conversation, 
it's taken us seven seven years to make this album. Mm-hmm. So we've all been through so many different changes in making this album. All of us, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the album's gonna reflect a lot of that because some of these songs were made back seven years ago, and then some songs we just wrote a song two days ago that might make the album. Wow. So it's I think I think you're gonna get a a variety of of stories storylines um but i think ultimately you're gonna get the usher you've been waiting for yeah because boyfriend is is a fun record and yeah. i enjoy that record a lot mm-hmm. but that brought me back when i was 12 years old and you know burn and confessions came out yeah so i'm like man like that shit sounds like they got back in that fucking studio and just got to work yeah. what they picked up where they left off back then well they got you know i mean when you have you know the same the personnel is it's basically, you know, it, it's a lot of the same personnel. So your LA readers back, you know, they partners with the label. Um, you know, Is Jonte in there? Jonte's in the mix. Uh, Rico Love wrote Boyfriend. Yeah. You know, me and Jermaine are there. You know, I think that, Perfect. Man. you know, I think that y- you guys are going to get an elevated, you know, we can never do confessions again. Like, no. you know, I think that that's part of, part of what was stumped us early on. Cause every you know we were you know we were chasing it you know what I'm saying yeah um but I think we got to a space now which kind of like this thing is going to be this, its own thing and I think it's going to be a big big thing and everything that's around it you have to we had to create a story around it mm-hmm. and Vegas was a beautiful story to create around it him coming out here and yeah. taking his claim and then this Super Bowl situation is just a beautiful way to kind of top it off you know what I'm saying perfect. it's a, it's a like perfectly organic yeah like narrative the way it's it's, it's going. I actually want, you know, Jamie wanted to tell you what his, like, ultimate favorite song that you've ever made. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have a few because you were, <laughs> but like, listen. Narrow it down to one that, like, affected, because I got one that just, I, I love. Okay. Well, the one that's uh, Say Goodbye. Yeah. That shit fucked me up. Yeah. Because I was like, man, finally somebody wrote something that I had feelings inside that I didn't know how to project. Yeah. Hey, yo. And then it's still true. <laughs> I, I was I was 15, 16, and I was just like, how do I tell her this? Yeah. And then you guys dropped Say Goodbye, and I was like, let me just play her this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that that one was probably it for me. That was Say Goodbye is funny, because I mean, how we came up with that. Um, my cousin Kendrick, who's a composer and co-produced a lot of songs with me, he came up with the piano lick. And I was like, yo, I love that piano lick. You know, I was like, yo, let me build something around that. So I started building the track. And as I'm building the track around the piano lick, I'm like, the verse, the verse melody came to me first. Right? Okay. So I was like, I got this melody, but what I'm gonna say? Like what I know I didn't know what I was gonna say. And I was like, but of course it felt like a like a breakup song. And yeah. I was and I was in my breakup bag during that period too, my breakup song bag. So started coming up with the lyric and melody but I couldn't finish the phrases so like I came up with the hook like never right time to say goodbye the, the whole part the first part of the hook but I couldn't get the last like two lines right mm-hmm. then for the verse I had like the first half and couldn't get the pre-hook so as I'm as I'm trying to come up with it Adonis walks in and I'm like oh god I'm glad you're here I got this idea <laughs> and I sing him the idea and he's like got it you know what I mean so he gives me the last two lines on a hook and then he writes what is the pre-hook of the like the like the B section before the hook and then he finishes right and he writes the second verse and the break you know and all that but I just remember that it came together pretty fast and I was just I just wanted something like 
cool. I kept looking at him as a, because I think he might have been 14 at the time. Yeah. I, he might have been 14 or 15 at the time. Yeah. But it was just, it was just a great, a great, a great session, a great time to work. You know what I mean? Yeah, that song, bro. Yeah, <laughs> the, I'm looking at your face. You still no, hit you. No, 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 <laughs> feeling that, no, feeling that. That was listen, listen, that, that was your song, one. <laughs> it's it, between him and Jonte Austin. They've had some songs, and I forget yeah. the 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 Bow Wow T Pain record. That one also had me in my shambles when I was heartbroken. Out of my system. Out of my system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then like let me hold you down was the summer anthem Amazing. for Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like yeah. even it's funny because the first time I heard any of your production not knowing who you were at the time but bow wow bounce with me yeah the bow wow record with snoop yeah yeah yeah. Going into- that first album the whole first album was me and jermaine yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. second album too and then it, and then um then when they got to want it it was kind of like i know let me hope you was him and no id and then um out of my system was l rock but then i did uh like you like yeah you. like you was on here too yeah. amazing yeah one of one of my favorites and and it was like it was one of those rare occasions, even as a DJ, like when you played it in the club, you'd have to play the the interlude and then the song, which was Little Mo Forever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And I've yeah. never, and uh, I've never, like, ever, when a song to me transcends outside the club yeah. and it goes to, like, a wedding and it yeah. becomes, like, events and it, it becomes, like, a soundtrack to someone's, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, what they define as love. Like, this is, this yeah. is our song. Yeah. That, to me, Forever was, like, a club song, but it... It also embodied that. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, Let's Get Married, the remix. Remix, yeah. 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 But it's yeah, like it's making those songs to me are so rare where I would have to play the interlude. Yeah. And then when it dropped, the, like the whole room would erupt. To, that's me, that, the one, to that's me, that's like R&B EDM because yeah. you have the build up and then boom. Drop. Wow, that's a drop. great example. I you never know? looked at that. That's a great yeah. example. That's why you should, you should make some EDM maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good example. Because for me, I just, yeah, when I, um, that was just me doing something. You know what I mean? Like, I just was like, you know, I was just kind of feeling whatever was happening right there. I'm going to keep it real. I was really, really, like, listening to a lot of, like, like Jay Dilla during that period. Really? Oh, so there was, wow. was an album, yeah. uh, Welcome to Detroit, that he had put yeah. out, and I was, like, obsessed with this album. Wow. And, like, the drum programming, and I was just obsessed with the way he chopped samples and and then so so uh, during that period there was a lot of there a lot of tracks nobody even heard during mm-hmm. that period that like that sound like that really without my, my my concept was I wanted to incorporate I was like let me let me do church with Jay Dilla so that's why it has that's the crazy. intro and it's all pianoed out and it's like I have a bunch of tracks I made during that period that's, that's like a, that yeah, that's such a Jay Dilla on yeah. that beat that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah all of it that's crazy so so all of it really was derived from that but I was like how can I make this Jay Dilla thing be oh, churchy. Man. You know what I'm saying? And then that's how, and then Little Mo is churchy as hell. Right. Her singing. So it's like, okay, let's make it happen. So yeah, that's really how that track came Damn, about. you just made me love that record even more. Yeah. <laughs> you heard about that shit. That shit is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, Brian Michael Cox. I can't, yeah, I'm so, I mean, I'm just so amazed that you came through. Thank you. Man, like, thank you guys, man. You know, what I love is that you're such an icon. You've done all this body of work and the great thing about you and Jermaine and so many talented icons and legends in this business who have impacted and shaped the music, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to this day yeah. mm-hmm. is that you guys are so humble and you always just focus on the work. Yeah. yeah. And no matter what, no matter what's going on yeah. and what's around, it's always, it always comes down to the work. Yeah. And I, I really love it and it's inspiring and motivating for me and, uh, 
And uh, we're just so happy that you came through. Man. And thank you for never abandoning an R and B, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. I, thank you for never doing that. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I was. I, you know, I remember I, I did like a week where I was trying to, and it was just like this don't work. This don't sound. Wait, wait. Good. You abandoned how you was? Uh, what I was you? doing. I was doing like pop. I was. I, I tried to go pop. Like everybody was doing EDM. I wanted. I was trying to do like. Dance I wanted records. to go like pop, like Max Martin. Like I was trying to go pop. And I made a few tracks that were in that space, and they sounded good, you know. Like you know, it just was mm-hmm. like, man, but it's not as good as Max Martin. Yeah, <laughs> come on, man. I, I love songwriting, and Max Martin is probably the top. Yeah, year. I'm like, that's just not just not yeah. throw this away. That's same. Backstreet Boys, <laughs> you know Spears, The Weekend, like yeah, like you know, it, yeah, yeah. You, you can only be who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the lesson I learned in that yeah. whole thing. I was like, yeah, I'm a guy. You know, guy, everybody got all the sounds and all the. You know, I'm doing all all of it. And I'm like, man, this sounds good, man, but... Yeah, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> you Thank know. you for never abandoning R&B. I mean, we're still shocked that you came on this, on, on yeah. this podcast, man. Nah, Trust man. I, Lathan. Hey, man. I, I, I always have a good time, man. I appreciate you guys, man, no. for real. Thank yeah. you, man. No Brian doubt. Michael Cox. Thanks for tuning into The Road Podcast. Don't forget, every Wednesday, we have new episodes on all major streaming platforms. And every Thursday, the video versions go up on our YouTube page. Please subscribe to our channel, youtube.com slash roadpodcast. And to find exclusive clips of the pod, please visit youtube.com slash DJ City. And we'll see you next Wednesday.